does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Indianapolis Colts football is on the air. Welcome to Lucas Oil Stadium, the site of week four between the Colts and the Rams. First and goal at the two-yard line for Stafford. Right back to work. Going to hand off to Williams from two yards away, and he plows his way into the end zone, and the Rams score a touchdown in the opening possession for them. Stafford out of the gun. Hands off to Williams right up the gut, and he slithers into the end zone basically untouched. Broke some arm tackles at the point of attack, and he has a touchdown run in back-to-back drives to start this game. First and 10 at the plus 35-yard line with Richardson out of the gun. Play action. Backs to throw. Good protection. Leaking out right. Throws on the run. Fires it upfield. The pass is caught by Indianapolis. This is Mo Alley-Cox with a flag on the field, and Mo Alley barrels across the goal line for a touchdown! Richardson goes out of the gun. They place the ball in the left hash. Shotgun snap. Looking to throw. In trouble in the pocket. Dancing left. Throws it upfield at the goal line. That's a catch. And then backpedaling his way in for the two-point conversion is Zach Moss. In the backfield, the Colts have two tight ends plus a running back. The tight ends flank Richardson. Now they motion the tight ends to the right and left. Sermon in motion to the right side. Shotgun snap. Richardson looking to get in on a draw, and he does! Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Richardson out of the gun. Trey Sermon motions out wide to the right side. Richardson throws it upfield. Caught by Andrew Ogletree. He's in! Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Touchdown for Andrew Ogletree. His first receiving score in the NFL. And it's 23-21. Richardson out of the gun. In motion again is Pittman left. Shotgun snap. Richardson. Angling right. Throws to a wide open Michael Pittman. And the two-point conversion is good! We are tied! Third and four for Stafford. Crowd coming to life. Williams back in as the back left. Stafford backs to throw in the pocket. Throws to a wide open player at the five. And he gets in for a touchdown. And that's Puka Nakua. And the game is over. The Rams beat the Colts 29-23. to That's the final score. So that's how it sounded yesterday. Matt Taylor, the Colts radio network, as the Rams defeat the Colts. Kind of a tale of two halves, obviously. Yesterday at Lucas Oil Stadium under a beautiful day. Oh, I'm sorry. A closed roof at... Lucas Oil Stadium, but the important thing is it was loud. Um, I thought yesterday it came down to this. And my name, by the way, is Jake Query. This is Query and Company here on 93.5107.5, The Fan. The CEO of the company is Eddie Garrison, who put together those highlights with the music underneath it. And Jimmy Cook is the president of the company, joins me as well. Jimmy, I'll begin by asking you this question. When you were in middle school, I'm guessing... Do you wear braces? Yeah. Do you have a headgear? No. Retainer? Yes. Acne? A little bit. When you look at pictures of yourself in like seventh grade, is it are, are you like embarrassed by it because you you're wearing like ridiculous clothing and you've got maybe braces and a couple of pimples and you're like God, I was not a good looking kid. Some might say I still wear ridiculous clothing, but yeah, a little bit, sure. I mean, you're wearing a Chewbacca T-shirt. Well done. You know, um, but my point is this. All of us, 
all of us, when you go back and you look at photo albums or you look at whatever it might be and you get together with your friends from high school or middle school and you're almost embarrassed because somebody breaks out a photo where you look incredibly gangly and awkward when you're like 12 or 13 years old and it's just not an attractive phase. Your body's transitioning. It's, it's, you're just, there are growing pains, physically speaking, that all of us looked awkward. Are you trying to tell me even you dealt with that? I did. Wow. If you can believe that. I can't. I mean, I was, like, I put the sexy embraces for sure, sure. but I had yeah. them, right? Naturally, yeah. I definitely had, like, the Steve Alford haircut, a lot of genera clothing. <laughs> but what you are seeing now with the Indianapolis Colts, and it may, they may regress back to being toddlers again. But what you saw yesterday was a football team that is in its awkward teenage years. A couple of years from now, hopefully and theoretically, the Colts are going to grow into, and it might even be a year from now, they're going to grow into a really good-looking, well-defined young person. One of the best-looking kids on the block. And you're going to look back at the photo album from two years ago and go, man, I'd forgotten about that. Like, do you remember that? Like, it... Things look pretty good, and then they had the wax on the braces, and then like the wax kind of wore off, and you could really see the braces, and it was kind of awkward. And that's what you saw yesterday. You saw both sides of it. I thought in the first half of that game yesterday, what you saw was a football team and a quarterback who was apprehensive, and I think Anthony Richardson looked like a quarterback that was coming out of the concussion protocol that still had kind of that PTSD of a hit that wasn't even necessarily – I mean, it was after a touchdown run – but he looked a little bit skeptical or hesitant when running the football, and the challenge was the Colts looked hesitant or skeptical or skeptical and allowing him to throw it. So you had a you had a game plan that was to run your quarterback a decent amount in the first half, or at least try to get him going in that regard, and or to hand off or show or or, or go with short intermediate passing game, and. You had a quarterback that was a little bit hesitant to do either. And so it took a while to get off the ground. Then once it got going, and once, like, when you get your braces taken off and you're sitting around, like, the entire day and you just keep running your lips and your your tongue over your teeth because you're like, I can't believe how, how smooth this feels. This is unbelievable. I'd forgotten all about yeah. this. And that's what Anthony Richardson looked like in the second half. Suddenly he felt comfortable. He was They were able to air it out a little bit. Alec Pierce finally made an appearance, although he had a drop as well. Um, and, you know, they all of a sudden opened things up a little bit and the game turned. And then somehow or another, Matthew Stafford went from looking like 42-year-old Dan Marino in the fourth quarter to looking like prime Super Bowl Joe Montana poised in the pocket in the overtime. <laughs> like he could barely move, right? And then all of a sudden whatever was was ailing him you know he was able to overcome and and you saw what happened but I thought all in all Jimmy that was a game yesterday and we will talk a lot about it because there were some question marks and some areas of concern but for the most part it was a game that I know you'd like to get a win but the Colts actually did exactly what the Colts probably this year painful as it sounds need to do which was be interesting be fun Stay in the mix for a really good draft pick to still be able to build assets, but develop Anthony Richardson. And yesterday they did those things. That game is a blowout last year. 
that game is a Colts team a year ago that I think lies down and winds up losing like 35 to 14. That's probably a a good call. Wondering where the offense is and why they keep putting band-aids on things and where the direction of the franchise is. To your analogy about you know the the teenage years and looking for who you are and trying to transition to the next phase in your life, that is very much the expectations we placed on this Colts team going into the season. The fact that they had the second half that they did and were able to make this a game and that you saw glimmers, which is all you're asking for this year, glimmers of growth and seeing Anthony Richardson as a quarterback of this team and realizing, no, he can sling it. He's a talented quarterback. He's raw. He needs more reps, but I, I see what the Colts are building. That's what you want the end of this season feeling to feel like. It's tough after a game like that where if one or two things go differently, maybe we're talking about another Colts victory and the Colts further ahead in the AFC South standings. Uh, the biggest takeaway for me yesterday outside of the inability to properly handle Pukunuku in the first half and then him getting free to Isn't end them in the second half. To say? It's a great name to yeah. say. Yes. You asked Matt Taylor that uh, going into the game last week. It's got to be a top five, top ten active player name to be able to say over and over again. So his his ability to get free and then put the dagger in them in overtime was maddeningly frustrating. Felt like they lost him on that last play. And then DeForest Buckner being on a pitch count we mentioned that Kyron Williams is a good running back and that this might be a tougher challenge for the Colts than not anything they'd face at this point because I think Travis Etienne is a good back as well, but that he would force the issue. The times when DeForest Buckner was not out there, you could tell that it was in McVay's cards to run the ball, hammer the Colts, take advantage of that, and they dominated that in the first half in particular, 76 yards on the ground for Kyron Williams. So yeah, if you have a healthier DeForest Buckner, I feel like you limit what the Rams were able to do not only on that final drive, but for most of the second half in a way that the Colts are probably walking out victorious. But big picture, they did not give up in this game. Yes, there's some play calling that maybe you could scratch your head at on their final drive of regulation. But all in all, it's just it's it's an imperfect team that is learning and trying to grow that comes up short yesterday in overtime. Yeah, imperfect team is probably a good way of saying it, right? And, and there are probably going to be inconsistencies over um, – where the areas of imperfection are game to game right now let me tell you one thing that is a bit not concerning it's probably the wrong word for the Colts but always the sign that you probably were chasing a tiger by the tail okay their leading tackler in the game was Zaire Franklin no surprise there not at all do you know what their second third and fourth leading tacklers all have in common and their and for that matter (laughs) their sixth leading tackler they're in the secondary correct not good. No. When you're leading tacklers, Juju Brents, nine tackles. Julian Blackman, nine tackles. Kenny Moore, eight tackles. Dallas Flowers, four tackles uh, before getting hurt. The When your leading tacklers outside of Zaire Franklin are in the secondary, and for that matter, even you know Franklin, I realize, is kind of their – everything kind of vacuums in towards him. Uh, but that's not a good sign. Now, you talked about the pitch count with DeForest Buckner, basically playing just on third downs, right? Yep. At what point? At what point is it politically correct in this town to be de- to be able to ask if Shaq Leonard's on a pitch count or if Shaq Leonard is just not Shaq Leonard? We're getting close. If we're not there already, I once again in the third quarter yesterday actually had to look at the box score because I'm like, wait a minute, like he is playing right? He had three tackles, but uh, Eddie Garrison. 
I don't think he played after the first defensive drive in the third quarter. I think he was off the field the remainder of the fourth, for sure, at least the fourth, and at least halfway through the third, and did not come on the field in overtime. There was many a sideline that, that during the broadcast to him. But that was not a that was not an injury issue, correct? Correct. Shane Steichen was asked about it after the game. He said, is Shaq hurt? He goes, no, Shaq's healthy. He's fine. That's very peculiar because you're talking about a guy who obviously you've got a lot of money invested in, and I get it. I'm not even saying it's at the fault of Shaq Leonard. I mean, the we have no idea, nor did the Colts. Are you drinking out of a sippy cup, Eddie? What do you got there? No. Oh, it's a Bucky's cup. Huh? It is a Bucky's cup. <laughs> okay. Are you on the Bucky's train too? Oh yeah, I love Bucky's. My wife is on the Bucky's train. I went. It was it was fine. It was nice. I had a good time. Uh, Bucky's actually. Bucky's is is pretty darn amazing, right? Yeah. But like after you've been a couple times, you're like, okay. I mean, I don't know that it's like a three hour drive. You know, like let's I, go out of our I, way for I, it. I got that feeling. The problem the first is if you're I on went. a road trip and you stop at a Bucky's, you're si- it, you know, it, very fitting for what I'm doing here. Uh, you're sidetracked for like thirty minutes, right? Right. You don't want to be sidetracked that long on a road trip. You just want to, but the bathrooms are immaculate. I oh, say that. it was. Very now, pristine. Ha- having said all of that, um, I don't want to be sidetracked for 30 minutes, so back to it. Shaq Leonard, I just think that... Is part of it that Franklin and Speed are just playing better than he is? Yes. Like, I, I it's... it's Yes. You hate to well, say it about speed, a player... Speed outside of one of the most boneheaded plays yeah. you're going to see in a long yeah. time in the beginning of the yeah. game. I had just gotten up... To, I got to the game yesterday. So, beautiful day yesterday, right? Yes. Gorgeous day. I got up, did a few things, left in plenty of time to head down to the game. And I we are very fortunate, and I know that we're very fortunate, to have, you know, a credential to the game and a parking pass as well. So I'm very lucky of that. I'm not complaining about any of it. Beautiful day. I'm driving down Capitol to go to the game. It's well probably an hour before the game starts. So I'm driving down. And I do what what is always fun. I'm taking a roll call of random NFL jerseys that are being worn by fans walking down Capitol. It's a great game. Yesterday's roll call included Khalil Mack, Justin Fields. Um, now, any former Rams player, you kind of get a pass because they're playing the Rams. Right. Right? Um, See any Isaac Bruce? Lions, Matthew Stafford. Gray area. Um, Hunter Smith. Joe Wright said he saw an Austin Collie jersey at Touchdown Town. Okay, Collie, that's pretty random, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of others that I saw. Oh, Barry Sanders. Was he hanging out with the Matthew Stafford fan? That's an excellent question. And or was an he hanging out with one. Calvin he Johnson? Not. He was not. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else that I saw, but, but at any rate... Justin Fields was the one. I'm like, Justin Fields and Khalil Mack were hanging out together, but Khalil Mack's no longer a bear, obviously, right? So you're like, wait, what? Okay. So I I walk down, I do that, or I drive down, I do that, and then I go around, and I'm parking in my parking spot. So then I get out. Was the Mustang there? What's that? Was the Mustang there? The Mustang? Yes, in your parking spot. Oh, the Mustang that parks in my parking spot here. Good recall, Eddie. <laughs> yes. No, I don't have a designated parking spot that I park in every place for a Colts game. I do in this building until the Mustang took it, and I could not be more. <laughs> Again, if you are the Mustang with the Colts license plate, you're taking it, you're throwing up my mojo. It totally disrupts my day. 
So I park in my spot and I'm walking in and the line is like to Monument Circle to get in through security. And I'm like, okay. And then I think about it and I think, you know what? I get it. I actually feel good about the fact that we're that they're checking people and that, you know, people are being safe, whatever. So I get into the game. My point being, I think I missed like the first drive. I got off the elevator in the press box, and right as I get off the elevator, I hear the PA announcement of late hit unsportsmanlike conduct against Matthew Stafford. And I sit down, and JMV goes, yeah, EJ Speed hit him. He goes, he wasn't just out of bounds. He was like halfway to the locker room, and EJ Speed hit him. So our director of speed on the show, do we have the EJ Speed sounder there, Eddie? Oh, I got to pull it up. Uh, EJ Speed... He is still within the company. We are keeping him on the company, but he has been brought to HR, even though we don't have an HR department. Uh, and he was spoken to, and we we asked that he not do it again. As but he is still allowed to stay as our director of speed here for Query and Company. Uh, EJ Speed is, but but he has been reprimanded slightly. EJ Speed, director of speed. You were hearing that in the company. There we go. That's EJ Speed yesterday. Sometimes too much speed, perhaps. Maybe the new position is what gave him the confidence to be able to do that to Matthew Stafford. Could be. But I thought, overall, again, once the Colts got going, you could see the glimpses. I thought the body language in the first half, I watched very closely. There was one play later in the game, later, excuse me, later in the first half, where they went three and out, and Anthony Richardson overthrew. He, he threw to his left-hand side. And, you know, kind of what has been his the calling card on him or the critique of him coming out of college was that Anthony Richardson, a lot of his passes, he overthrows. He throws too high. His elbow's not in the right placement. He throws too high. And he did that that cost them a first-down opportunity late in the first. And he came to the sidelines, and it looked like a pitcher throwing a no-hitter in the eighth inning. Like no one said anything to him. And I think that's just because he is still a young guy and people are like, you know what? Like, I don't want to. He knows that he overthrew that. I don't need to get in his ear, whatever. Don't need to pile on. Isaiah McKenzie was the one that went over to him eventually and talked to him. And I'm sure that was just a veteran, you know, hey, here's something I noticed or here's something we could do, you know, whatever it might be. But I thought their body language in the first half looked relatively deflated. And then what I think was actually the saving grace for them to a great extent, end of the half, it's 20 to nothing, right? Half coming to an end, 20 to nothing game. Rams lining up for a field goal, five seconds left. And I turned around to JMV sitting next to me and I said, So do they get booed? Coming off the field, JMV looks at me and says, you know, they might. There might be some people that boo. We've seen that before. I do think that people are aware of the fact that there are expectations, or or excuse me, that there are patience, expectations of patience necessary with a rebuilding team and a young quarterback. But the Colts were starting to put themselves in position of becoming victimized if you will by their own early success jimmy right yeah so you go you went from after three weeks hey we might not win three games to hey we might win the division i expect to see this you know i expect more and they come out and they look completely flat but an interesting thing happened so the rams are lining up for and keep in mind in a game where matt gay 
former Ram, missed a field goal, and then watched his replacement hit a 54-yarder. But they line up, do the Rams for a field goal to end the half, and it sails wide left. And the crowd applauds their relief of seeing the Rams miss a kick. Their, their immediate reaction is, hooray, they missed a kick, so we're only down 20 to nothing, it's 20 to 23. But the reaction of seeing the missed kick as the teams ran off the field then superseded any desire there was to boo your displeasure that the Colts, who now all of a sudden you're thinking should stay in contention for the division, were flat. So there was not a single boo that was heard. You did hear boos on the broadcasts, and clearly you'd hear it in the stadium as well, in the punt to start the third quarter. I think because Zach Moss had a no-gain run, and then right. I think there was also a sack on Richardson. And, and probably there was from some, play calling, right? Sure. Some but, some sense of this is the opening drive of the half. Let's get some momentum. Let's get some points. And then they end up punting. But but at the half, the fact that there were no boos. It's significant. I think it, it allowed them to go in and kind of regroup a little bit sure. instead of just feeling like, you know what, this thing's over. Sure. And having 20 minutes to sit and think about the fact they'd just been booed. So they come out in the second half, and then, you know, obviously you get the score, you get the two-point conversion, and then things turn around a little bit. I thought in the end of regulation, they got a little conservative again. I also think the Rams adjusted a little bit in the fact that the Colts, in order to get the passing game going for Anthony Richardson, they were becoming pretty tight in reliant. Ogletree, Moali Cox, Kylan Granson – they were becoming pretty reliant on that, and I think the Rams kind of adjusted to that to seal that off a yeah. little bit, and, and that forced them to come different ways. But overall, I, outside of the fact that it was a loss, overall, I, I think it was something that you can't be totally discouraged by, even though it was a loss. I get that. And there's no moral victories in professional sports. I get that too. But truth be told, for for the the biggest disappointment probably of the day was the fact that we only have like three days left that are going to look like that and the roof was closed, right? Yes, a lot of animosity I think on Colts social media and amongst the Colts fan base that there's no roof action. Well, I, I will say if you sit in the south end, no, I'm sorry, it's the north end. If you sit in the north end the way the sun is, it, it's rough. But I'm like, yeah, I mean open air stadiums, but the problem is because that's not an open air stadium, the heat kind of gets stuck in there and and some people bake. But I mean, you know, then they just should have built the thing as a closed stadium, closed roof stadium. That's all I'm saying. But I, I, I promised. I, I said to my boss today, I came in, I had a meeting, and I said, I am not going to harp on the fact that they spent an extra $113 million tax dollars without asking anybody for a retractable roof that never gets used. I'm not going to bring it up. Wait a I'm second. I'm not going to go there. That's big you're, of you to not bring it up. You're chairman of the board and you have a boss? who We haven't had this position established in the Eddie, company. Eddie, that's, that's an excellent point, uh, and I appreciate you raising that. Uh, we have, I would say he's, he's, not the, he's the chief uh, shareholder and investor. Okay. So the, the main investor of the company is the one that you have to answer to, right? Right. So, I mean, I have to go to him, and we have a weekly report on, on his ROI, his return on investment, that kind of thing. Um, and I said to him, I go, listen, at this point, the only thing I can tell you is that you are getting better return on investment, as futile as it might be, than people that paid $113 million for a retractable roof that never gets opened. And he said, okay, thanks. Do me a favor and don't talk about that on the air a lot. I said, okay, that's fine. 
That was it. <laughs> that was the conversation. So I said I wouldn't. True to your word. Uh, you know what I mean? I yeah. told him, I said, listen, yep. in, in terms of, you're exactly right. You, my mind is open about all of this and everything that you're saying, but the roof is not. That, that's all I said. <laughs> I, I will not harp on it. Uh, but overall, Jimmy, your thoughts on, on the game? Look, this is not the road that Colts fans want to go down because I know they're hungry. I know they want the franchise to be back where it is, but the main objective of the 2023 campaign is Anthony Richardson's development. And if you're looking at one thing to look at from half one to the second half, it was a boost in confidence. He looked more comfortable in there. And that was coming off the fact that I think a lot of not diehard Colts fans, but I think casual Colts fans didn't realize until either close to kickoff or maybe on the last injury report of the week that they were going to be down two offensive lines. I thought the line played pretty well, all things all, considered, All things right? considered, yes. I mean, it, Especially Aaron the Donald, left side of it. Aaron Donald did wreak havoc on that game, but I thought it was going to be far worse than it was. I, I will totally say agree. That. So a win for the line and the fact that there's even a conversation for the Colts to be back in that game is in large part due to they are able to move the ball offensively like yes it was their defense up until that final drive that needed to right the ship after giving up a 20 spot in the first half and that happened but they also need their offense to come to play and that's just not something that we would have seen a year ago Jake it's just it's not and part of it's Anthony Richardson part of it is Shane Steichen and part of it is an ability to be able to adjust on the fly and let your rookie quarterback get some confidence and I felt like he left that game with still plenty to learn from but we're not seeing yet all these marks against Anthony Richardson that were there in the draft. We're not seeing crazy errant throws or just like total head scratching. What is he doing? I think those plays will still happen, but it would have been very easy to pack it in for that game for a rookie quarterback. And he didn't do that. He showed flashes of why he thinks he can and why I think a lot of people are coming around to the idea he could be a franchise quarterback for the Colts. I would agree with that. I mean, he certainly looks like a guy at this point. There are times where he looks like a guy ready for the moments. And that's that's all you can ask in that situation. Uh, we'll talk plenty about it. And take further looks back at the game yesterday and also, you know, getting kind of set for Tennessee. Take a look around the league. Mike Chappell going to join us at 1 o'clock on the program today. The dean of writers talking about the Indianapolis Colts joining us in 35 minutes. Then Don Fisher joins us, talk a little Indiana football, who had a little upheaval change of their own over the course of the weekend. That conversation in an hour on a Monday, a spectacular-looking Monday, mind you, edition of Query and Company. You're listening to it, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. So let me tell you something that happened yesterday, long before closing time of the game. Although at the time, I thought the game was closed, okay? And I thought it was symbolic of the Colts' season. When I was a kid, I went to Allisonville Elementary School, okay? And we had, in Allisonville Elementary School, we had uh, a number of kids that lived on the, the other side of the township. They still lived in Washington Township, but they came over to go to Allisonville Elementary School, and one of them was my friend Andre Murray, who was like my best buddy through elementary school. And Andre Murray and I had several classes together, first through fifth grade. And then he moved to Pike Township. So he was one of those kids that just like mysteriously disappeared one day. You're like, what happened to Andre Murray? <laughs> like, we, he was my buddy and he moved. And due to social media and whatnot, about two years ago, we reconnected. And I'm like, are you Andre Murray from Allisonville? And great dude. Indianapolis firefighter, great guy. And he is a diehard Rams fan. Because again, the Colts didn't move 
to Indianapolis until we were in the sixth grade. So in the in the really critical years of learning football at elementary school, he picked the Rams because I think probably from the 79 Super Bowl because of the helmets and the colors. So he's been a diehard fan. So last night, or, or excuse me, yesterday in the afternoon during the game, I texted him, hey, you know, are you at the game? Yeah, cool. I'll come down at halftime and, and find you to say, hey. So I went and left the press box, went down to the 400 level to go to meet up with Andre. And when you walk the concourse of Lucas Oil Stadium to on the 400 level to get from one area of the stadium to the next, you're like walking and you're like, there's a beautiful stadium and everything's great. And then all of a sudden, like you just, you end up in a hallway with a glass door and you're like, what happened? I, I can't go any further. And you have to back up and retreat and kind of reassess and figure out where you're going. And then you find out there's actually a bar to the right-hand side. You walk through that bar and then you're walking and you're like, this is gorgeous. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's an escalator and you've got to go down. <laughs> and you go down the escalator and then you're walking and you're like, this is fabulous. And I walk like six more sections and then there's another escalator and now you got to go up. And every time that you think you have clear sailing, there's another obstacle that comes into your way. And just when you think it's an obstacle, it opens up to something gorgeous and you're totally captivated by it and then it's done. That, to me, is what this Colts season is going to look like from a fan standpoint when you have a team that you are still feeling your way through in its awkward teenage years. There are going to be times where it's smooth sailing and you're looking around and you're like, this is wonderful and everything I hoped it would be. And then there are going to be other times where you stop and you're like, why am I on an escalator going down? (laughs) Oh, okay. That escalator ride wasn't terrible. I I got through it. And now this is a really nice area. And look at that. There's a huge, there's a car hanging upside down. That's incredible. Wow, this is amazing. And then wait a minute. Now here's another escalator up and I've got another hurdle to climb. That's exactly what it's going to be like. There are so few teams, Jimmy, in the National Football League. There are so few teams that, Oftentimes, just have nonstop that open space. There's always going to be a challenge. And in particular, when you are dealing with not only injuries, and I thought the line played well yesterday, considering, right? But but young quarterback, still pretty young defensively, star defensive player that that probably due to health is has regressed a little bit, and you've got other guys that are having to step up and rise to it. There are very few teams that are going to be able to go out and be Kansas City or Buffalo or Miami and just be on cruise control and just be able to do a clean lap without having to stop and wonder where the hell they are. Well, and the schedule is built that way for the Colts as well. We talked about it last week. Don't tell Josh that. that. <laughs> as long as Josh doesn't hear us, there are certain opportunities along the way when you look at what the Colts are as a team and what's in front of them from a scheduling standpoint where it's like yes they should be able to win that game like I don't care how dominant Tennessee looked yesterday against the Bengals because I still can't figure out if it's just Joe Burrow is going to be battling with an injury all year and this is going to be a down year for the Bengals because of that I can't differentiate because the Titans are so helter-skelter week to week. I can't differentiate if they had a bounce-back week or if the Bengals are just bad. So let's say it's not that they they had a bounce-back week. Let's say the Bengals are bad and the Titans took advantage. Colts should win at home on Sunday. You can look at this schedule two weeks after that. They host New Orleans. The Colts should win that game. They go on the road to Carolina. The Colts should win that game. There are moments where that's going to happen this season. Sometimes they'll deliver. Sometimes they won't. But to your analogy of trying to get through the rigorous labyrinth that is Lucas Oil Stadium sometimes, that is very much going to be a picture for what the season is. Just the second you feel like you have some momentum after maybe stringing together victories against 
the Saints and the Panthers. Then you play the Patriots on the road, and all of a sudden, Bill Belichick has figured something out, even though they look like a mess too. So point is, there are opportunities there for exactly that scenario to pan out this year, Jake. Who yesterday, over the course of the weekend in the NFL, I guess I say yesterday, I mean the weekend itself, jumped out at you as a real surprise. Were you surprised that Buffalo took care of business against Miami the way they did? Yes. The manner with which they did it and the fact that that wasn't really a game did surprise me. My one hesitancy around the Dolphins has been if they get in a matchup with another offense that can put up points as well as they can, how will their defense respond? And they, they kind of got cooked yesterday. I mean, I know that Diggs is one of the best wide receivers in the game, but they, they did. They, they got cooked left and right by Buffalo offensively yesterday. That surprised me a ton. Again, the Bengals, once again, nearly laying an egg also surprised me. Like, I just maybe it's time to accept that Joe Burrow, with the injury that he's dealing with, is not going to be the same player this year unless he gets some extended rest, at which point they're one in three now. And if you rest Burrow, you're basically sacrificing your season nearly. So they're in trouble, it appears. Uh, the rest of the way, the Deshaun Watson being declared out caught me by surprise yesterday. The Ravens handled things. Uh, very easily against them. And then the other game, Jake, for me, was Houston and Pittsburgh. I really thought that Steelers' defense is going to make life difficult for the Texans, difficult for C.J. Stroud, and it was the exact opposite. It was the Texans' defense that made life just a, a strange, bizarre, tough day for Kenny Pickett and company. You know what? I was thinking about this yesterday. The The optimism, the hope for the Colts and for their fans, and for the city, is that Anthony Richardson becomes that guy, right? Yep. And he certainly looks at this point like he's on pace to potentially be that guy. But they're going to need him to be, because it's entirely possible that in four or five years, the three best quarterbacks in the AFC are all in the AFC South. If the Texans are truly a new-look franchise, because we've seen how much turnover they've done the last two years in terms of that front office and the head coaching staff, if they are able to actually rewrite the narrative about the Texans, which is they're going to make mistakes and they can't team build, and eventually they're going to ruin their shiny new toys, in this case, their new star quarterback, Like if they find a bone of competency, Texans are going to be a problem. C.J. Stroud, we're talking about Anthony Richardson looking like that dude. C.J. Stroud looks like that dude in terms of a rookie campaign. There's a reason that he is leading or near the top of conversations for rookie of the year honors this year. Like, you're right, Jake, that very well could happen, that it goes Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, near the top of the league in terms of quarterback play when you simulate things out three to four seasons from now. I'm telling you, Stroud, you know, so far, six touchdowns, no picks. So he's not throwing a lot of touchdowns, but he's throwing for a lot of yards. And Houston, I think, for a team that most of us thought were gonna be, was going to be the laughing stock of the league, Houston actually looks pretty competent. Yep. Looks pretty good. Right? And Lawrence... You know, yesterday, did you? Let me ask you this Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook both. I will ask you, Eddie, first. You watched how many snaps of the game from overseas yesterday morning between Jacksonville and I believe it was Atlanta, correct? Yeah. How many? Yeah. Um, I don't know how many I would put on it because I was doing work here. I had it on the computer, but I'd say about. So you did watch some of it. 30, about between 50%. Wow. Maybe. Okay. I, I watched from like the seven-minute mark of the second quarter and all of the third quarter. But it should be noted, ladies and gentlemen, that I watched said game 
on the Toy Story broadcast on Disney Plus. Excuse me? On the Toy Story broadcast on Disney Plus. Disney Plus or ESPN Plus? It was on both. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. We talked about this very, and very Andy briefly Green. on... Do you have like 19 versions of every television network? Because anytime that I mention something, I'm like, hey, did you happen to watch such and such? And you're like, well, I didn't actually watch it, but I watched the Battlestar Galactica okay. broadcast right of it okay. on ESPN 3, 312. I'm I will like, acknowledge that I did plug next-gen stats heavily the last couple of weeks on the Amazon Prime broadcast. By the way, my sister was hanging out down in the circle, and so she just walked in. I just oh, thought I'd there. let you guys know. Don't be Hello. alarmed. My sister Juge <laughs> and my sister-in-law Sue just walked in, so don't be alarmed by that. Um, so so you watched the Toy Story broadcast. You watched how much of that? Uh, that was the extent of Jags Falcons that I watched. I, I watched so, two series of that. I'm like, all right, this is enough. If you watch the first quarter, it was a technical nightmare from what I understand. It, like they, there was glitches, all kinds of madness. Because there, there are technical errors anytime the Jacksonville Jaguars are involved that, in anything. That's, Jimmy, that's a, we know also this for a fair a fact, point. Right? But you had like passes that weren't going anywhere near where they actually occurred in the live broadcast. Okay, so the game started at what time? Nine thirty, right? Okay, and it ended at like twelve, probably, right? Yeah. So would either of you like to select and guess how many plays I saw of the Jacksonville Jaguars Atlanta Falcons game? Uh, it, maybe two, zero. I saw highlights of Trevor Lawrence warming up, but nice. that was at like 12.30. There you go. They, they were showing it, the, the highlights, and then I realized they were getting ready to show the highlights of that, and I had something else to do. I was not up at 9.30 in the morning. but um, Shocker. I, I know, that is stunning, isn't it? But, but Jacksonville, again, is enigmatic because Lawrence, I truly believe that he is, he is a franchise quarterback, but the Jaguars kind of are still going through those growing pains of what I'm talking about that you're going to see from the Colts, which is kind of like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, right? It's There's no consistency there. And quite frankly, funny enough, right now the team that probably has been the most consistent is, I guess would you say the last couple of weeks would be the Texans, right? Yes. Uh, strangely enough. And then how about Tennessee? Tennessee, who who seemingly the Titans were the easiest cakewalk of all, right? They were the easiest cakewalk of all on the schedule, we thought. And then Tennessee goes and gets a win, and Derrick Henry all of a sudden finds the fountain of youth. So the Colts have to be, you know, you got to take that into consideration and, and take that seriously now. Around the clock, 24-7, icing, rehabbing, whatever it takes to get Divorce Buckner available for first second and third down you're not kidding because if you and maybe that was part of it jimmy sure maybe that's why he was he was on a pitch count because if you have him on a pitch count against tennessee and kyron williams just did what he did to you look out you're right like i mean that that that, that's a nail in a coffin waiting to happen if you're gonna give derrick henry an opportunity to run all over you now lastly in taking a look around the league i will say this it is 12 45 and 20 seconds which means that we are 45 minutes 20 seconds into this program and we have not yet mentioned taylor swift now eddie you had issue with the taylor swift mentions on the nbc broadcast right it's just tiring i'm getting over it okay you're getting over it or you are over it i am you're over trying it. to get over it right I'm are you trying to it. say that you and nbc are I'm never ever getting back but together here's the is thing. that what you're saying this, this, make, this is sure what's fascinating thing. to me okay the National Football League is the 800-pound gorilla in the American culture. Yes. Okay? Like, there is nothing bigger than the National Football League in the American culture. Television ratings, all of it, There's right? a reason that other big-time events try to schedule around NFL games. Correct. Because it's, it's Correct. doomsday if you try to go up Correct. against them. Yes. So how big a megastar does one have to be? Like, you take IndyCar, okay? IndyCar is a niche sport. 
IndyCar knows it's a niche sport. Indianapolis knows IndyCar is a niche sport. So what does IndyCar do? IndyCar tries to get celebrities or people that have clout or large social media followings to come to a race and they try to incorporate it in any way, shape, or form that they can to try to latch on to the auxiliary attention that that individual is bringing to IndyCar, right? Like, hey, we're going to have... There was a scheduling conflict away from Shaq being a DJ during the race. So we're going to have Shaq come out because we're hoping that Shaq Shaq will introduce new eyeballs to IndyCar, right? Yep. The National Football League, like every year... 18 of the 20 most widely watched broadcasts in American television are part of the National Football League. The Super Bowl does 100 million plus viewers. And yet, Taylor Swift comes to an NFL game to see Travis Kelsey play, and NBC completely redoes (laughs) their broadcast model and approach to appeal to her transcendent viewers that they're hoping can introduce those young people to the National Football League. Do you know how big a ubiquitous star you have to be to be able to have the National Football League feel like they have to latch on to your coattails to get new eyeballs? There's only like 2% of the population that don't have eyeballs on the NFL to begin with, and all 2% of them are boostering the American economy by following Taylor Swift around the country. That's why, Eddie, they show her constantly because the people that are there to watch the football game that might be annoyed by Taylor Swift, NFL fans are gluttons for punishment. They ain't going anywhere. They're going to still watch the game. But they know that Taylor Swift fans might be tuning in to see Taylor Swift, so you got to deliver the goods to keep them around to get those numbers. They should have cut to Ben Lively, or not Ben Lively, Blake Lively, Amen. a little more. Amen well, that's the that. other thing. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah. literally, it's like Taylor Swift and three other people. Oh, they happen to be the three biggest box office and like other musicians. Ryan Reynolds in the was like, like right. it was just a, a who's not who. a single cut to Ryan. Reynolds. I mean, literally, I it was like, oh, and by the way, Ryan Reynolds Hugh is Jackman's there too. Hanging. It's like, okay, man, Ryan Reynolds is doing Uber, and Taylor Swift actually used him to get to the stadium. <laughs> Uh, Mike Chappell joining us at one. Okay. Opening scene. What movie? Jimmy Cook. Fast times. Fast times, Jake. You got it, buddy. You got it. The old cruising vessel, Brad Hamilton. I think it's seven more payments and that baby is all his. (laughs) Uh, Mike Chappell going to join us coming up at one o'clock. My sister just came down to enjoy Spark on the Circle, which is the little... You know, she's retired now, so like, you know. So, Juge, what are you doing today? Well, I'm just going to go downtown and play ping pong on the circle. Okay, that's cool. We'll come see us. Is there that's any just... level of envy there? Like, do you long for the day that you're able to oh, wander the world aimlessly? Counting or are you... them down, Jimmy. I'm <laughs> counting them down. As a matter of fact, you guys are going to go a little free time without the uh, owner of the company here coming up at the end of the, or the big, I guess, actually a month from right now. It's risky business right there. You know, and I understand a lot of people take vacation, of course. Is this market research? During the, That's right. I'm doing, well, I'm doing the same market research probably um, most would assume, Eddie, is you because I'm going to Amsterdam. Nice. And you went to Colorado, <laughs> but not for the reasons you think. I'm actually going to the Anne Frank house. That is my- You mentioned that. Yep. Yeah. That's the number one reason why I'm going there. But um, I would love to be able to take my vacations in the summertime, like the rest of the civilized world- um, but I, but there's always a race, so I, it's it's tough, and I'm thankful that they allow me to do it. Um, I will miss the buildup of the Colts' return to take on Frank Reich in Carolina. That is the the weekend that I will be there. Um, but so I, I'm very appreciative of that. By the way, a reference to your earlier point, uh, Taylor Swift has 273 million followers on Instagram. 
Would you like to guess how many the NFL has? Um, 70. Eddie? Uh, I don't know, 83? 28.4 million. So she has 10 times the amount. Yes. I, I just think. But the here's thing, the thing, though: if you're a guy, you're going I mean, to Taylor look, Swift for social media, sure. not that's. I mean, the NFL. It's, just, it's just one example, though, of like Jake's point that the NFL, even as big and monstrous as it is, viewing Taylor Swift to some extent as a vehicle of new eyeballs, more eyeballs. The NFL sees Taylor Swift as a greater vehicle of public relations than they do themselves. Correct. I was about to say, how long until it comes out when uh, when they admit that they're not actually together and it's all just a big. PR stunt by the NFL to attract new fans. I don't. That what f- does if, she have to gain from that? Exactly. Um, a different type of audience. But she doesn't. Like, are, here's the here's the thing. Like whether or not the NFL needs Taylor Swift or Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift does not need the NFL. If she I needed know. the NFL, she would have played their halftime show for the Super Bowl. Right. Yes. When there are 125. Yes. Million. Right. Here's the thing about Taylor Swift. In conclusion, that that I find incredibly fascinating and. I give her all the credit in the world for it. And I, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like controversy. It's not intended to at all. I think Taylor Swift is a very pretty girl, woman. She's a very pretty woman. But she doesn't have like drop dead ooze of sexiness, so to speak. But I think she has a level of like an intimidation about her because of her almost enigmatic star quality that nobody can pinpoint exactly what it comes from other than oozing incredible talent. And I think women in particular truly appreciate and enjoy about her the fact that she is one of the first, not first, that's the wrong word, but she is, it is usually when a woman has a massive attraction about them from men. It's because of their physical attributes and overall physical sexiness. And for her, for her transcendence and her power and her empowerment over men to come based primarily from her overall talent and star quality, I think women appreciate the fact that she is seen for more than just being a pretty face. She's an incredible talent. And I think men look at her as an incredible talent. And the fact that somebody like Travis Kelsey, who is as big a star as there is in the biggest league in American sports, feeling like almost he would be subservient to her clout is impressive to people on both sides of the coin. There's a level that's of what gives her a, a huge power. There's a level of authenticity about her combined with the fact that she is there's probably a level the of world's vulnerability. Best, yes. Right. She's probably the world's biggest performer right. active right now. And she is based part of why she's based on that is because women can relate to her because she is open about her vulnerability. Yeah. And I think people enjoy that. Mike Chappell is next. First hour down, two to go on a gorgeous Sun Splash Monday. It is so nice outside that you ought to just right now just close the sunroof. Be the Colts, baby. (laughs) Close that roof. Close that window. Gorgeous day outside. Colts yesterday, tough one. Overtime, losing to the Los Angeles Rams. But there were some positive things to talk about odd as that sounds joining us now on the hotline to talk about that and more from wish tv and cbs4 in his 40th year i believe it is of covering the indianapolis colts basically every year since they came over in the mayflower trucks mike chapel joins us uh mike i'll begin with this um i had mentioned earlier and i want your your reaction to it we all have pictures photos of ourselves when we were like 13 14 years old and you, you know you got braces and maybe some pimples and you haven't filled out yet and you're just kind of awkward and gangly looking and it's a little bit embarrassing 
and I think people need to remind themselves that basically, hopefully, in two to three years, they're going to look back on this season and realize that in terms of this franchise, it's kind of the gangly, headgear-wearing, pimple-faced kid because there is a transition taking place before our eyes, but you can see the glimpses of where the body's going to fill out and it's actually going to be okay in the end. Is that a fair assessment from yesterday? Yeah, it's, I mean, and, and there's always going to be the comparison, but 1998, they were 3-13 with, with the rookie quarterback. And again, please, I'm not comparing Richardson to Manning at all. But And then, of course, then they took the big jump. But yeah, it's, you've got to, I wrote about it last night, as long as you've got the quarterback, you've got a chance. I mean, and this kid gives you a chance they're down 23-0, and, and they had the ball with a chance to win it. All they needed was like 30 yards on that last drive, and he went, you know, three incompletions with some pressure and some good defense. But I, I, I just reflected on 38-10, to 10, Andrew Lutz down, they win. And 35-14 in Tampa, and Manning brings it back. So he gives you a chance. Now, what it what it's going to what it's going to we're going to see the rest of the year is where they're deficient, and they're deficient. They they didn't do a good job reinforcing the secondary cornerback, and they may pay even more now if Dallas Flowers is out for a while, and he probably is. He was on crutches in the locker room, and he's room. been a nice player for them. He has, and, and this is a guy that played you know defense for the first time in December. Uh, and they paid the price for not really paying attention to the offensive line, which is which is not the way they've normally done things. And they put Blake Freeland out there at left tackle, and he's not ready. And that, that's not Blake Freeland's fault. You, you know, the, the, a team's responsibility, in my mind, primarily, is don't put players in position to fail. Don't have Dallas Clark try to block Mario Williams, things like that. Well, you know, and, and they put – Bernard Ryman out there last year in Denver when he wasn't ready. Well, this isn't his fault. This is a, a, a franchise failure in this instance. You know, I realize Ryman came up late last week with the concussion symptoms, but but you still should have been prepared for something. You know, Ryman didn't get hurt. So, but no, I think what you're saying is true. We've seen we're seeing growth spurts, and we're going to see it more and more. You know, I still want to see Richardson do more in the pass game. Now some of those, some of those deep passes are just are are just right there. They're really elite throws, and he's got to get better on on the the I guess touch passes, something under things underneath. That'll come. This is what this is who he was in college. You know the the fifty was the fifty three percent completions. But if you look at his line and he's eleven for twenty five for two hundred yards, you're thinking, man, what a crappy game. No, it's pretty good. He, he just had the slow start, and then he heated up, and then they could convert, convert on that last drive. But you, you just – we've said from the start, this entire season is about getting the quarterback reps and really the future. What you do this year is great, and what really kind of frustrates fans and media, all of us, is they're sitting there at 2-1, and one, and they've got four out of five at home. And all of a sudden, you can, you can kind of mesh – growing pains with some wins and then who knows or then you kind of take a step back if that's the word we want to use but but as long as the quarterback keeps progressing and I think we're seeing that then people simply have to say well there's one they should have gotten but they didn't you move on and you you really need to get one against Tennessee 
there's there's so much going on with Tennessee and in the back and forth between you know this franchise and Mike Vrabel and should he have been whatever else. But this is all about getting the quarterback better, and so far we've seen that. I, I think, Mike, I thought, and feel free to disagree with me here. I thought all things considered, and like you mentioned, you know, Ryman being kind of a late in the in the week, like, oh wow, okay. I, I thought the line was pretty competent and, and for the most part pretty reliable yesterday. But I also feel like there's a danger in. The more that you try to rely on on that, the more water is going to find its level, and it's going to, and all of a sudden you're going to have some issues, right? And and you know what we're seeing already, we're only a quarter of the way in, is that you need to have depth there, and you need to have guys that are. In other words, I thought yesterday it was patch meal, okay, all things considered, but a dangerous precedent to become too reliant on having to go to that well. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I I don't think they were quite to the level that you thought they were. I, I thought that, of course, you got Aaron Donald. I mean, and he just wrecks the best defense, offensive lines. I thought he wrecked it. And we were talking in the press box that if that were Matt Ryan back there, how many sacks would would they have gotten? You know, six, seven, I don't know. Because Richardson does help erase pressure. But, and, you know, but, but again, I, I don't think Freeland was ready yet. He was what, a fourth-round pick. And, and, oh, by the way, you're missing Ryan Kelly. And while we're here, uh, kudos and congratulations to Ryan and Emma for twins. It was at Duke and Ford. They've been through so much. So, you know, really, really kudos to them for starting their family and all that. But but, I, but I, st- I still – now, they needed a better option at left tackle. And, again, that's not meant as a, a shot on Freeland, but they needed – a reliable tackle because if it's not Ryman getting a concussion late last week, it's Ryman or somebody or Braden Smith. Remember Braden Smith didn't practice Friday either with that hand. So I just, I just think they, they need to play better. They didn't get the running game going until late. I thought that was a reflection of the offensive line. So I'm not quite as post game high on the offensive line's performance as you are, but, you know that's they, they were still in position to win. That, that that's the bottom line is they were still in position with a minute, whatever it was, and, and change to go with a chance to win, and and that's kind of encouraging, I think. Mike Chapel, Fox Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Chap, I have a love hate relationship with this next question that I'm going to throw your way, and it's by no means I want to clarify in the front end me saying, oh, if the Colts don't do this, they win that game. It's just it's a terrible decision. But it's more just a curiosity and a philosophy question uh, in regards to Shane Steichen. So they go for it on fourth and seven from their own 31, 340 to play in the third quarter instead of kicking a field goal. That They don't get it. I'm not saying that's why they lost the game. My question is, do you think that is a – it's in plus territory. That's a modern-day philosophy. Plus, we have a young quarterback. We want him to get further experience and challenge him in a fourth and seven to see what he does. Or do you think that is just that's what Shane Steichen's going to do if they're in plus territory? He's going to have the modern look at it and do what the numbers say and go for it. I think it'll be situations. I, I don't think you know. I, I don't think he's out. Yeah, this is a good chance to get my quarterback fourth and whatever. No, I don't think that's it. It's just that at, at that time he thought here's where here's where we we need to get this. We should get this and and, and keep momentum. It's going to be situations. It's obvious. He's going to be an aggressive coach. You know, Frank Reich was an aggressive coach. 
you know, if the situation was right. So, but I think we need to get used to that with this guy. And now we don't need to go, what was it? Fourth and one at your own 24 with a lead, like the guy out and with the chargers does that. That's a bit, <laughs> that's wreck. That's not, that's not, that's not aggressive. That's rec- reckless. But I, I generally have liked the, the plays he's called when he's done it. I wasn't crazy when it was fourth and or first and goal at the four and they ran Moss twice. I I, I, I like the ball in my quarterback's hands down there because he's going to make something happen generally good with his legs. But, you know, I, I really don't have too many, uh, if any, beefs so far. It's just going to be the feel of the game. I don't think it has much to do with exposing your young quarterback to as many situations as possible. It's what felt right at that time in the game. Mike, to, to piggyback kind of off that in terms of – Mike Chappell's our guest from CBS4 and WXA. And to, to piggyback a little more off of like the Anthony Richardson approach schematically, to me there seems to be somewhat of a catch-22 in the fact that to get a young quarterback comfortable, you want to keep him within his comfort zone to an extent – and for him, that comfort zone probably is using his legs to open up the passing game. But there's obviously a danger in any quarterback in running too often and taking the punishment that you try to save from any quarterback, let alone a young one. Is that a balancing act that the Colts have to explore even further? Yeah, but but I, I tell you, I really think that I would prefer to see him out on the edge with design runs, that's or, exactly. Or Somebody just texted me and said, "Why are they doing no like design rollouts for him?" Well, because I think you can. I think the quarterback can protect himself. I, I really do. I think you're going to see quarterbacks get blown up in the pocket. You get you get rolled on, and I, I think if when the quarterback does things the right way, what was its first play when he slid, got out there and ran and slid, and, and the crowd cheered. Yeah, the crowd cheered. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a quarterback generally can protect himself to where you're not just going to get that linebacker and just level you. I really do. And you can run out of bounds. You can go down. You can really avoid massive hits unless the situation calls for you at the goal line to, you know, try to take it in. Remember Andrew Luck down there against Denver when he lacerated whatever it was, his kidney. It was a football play. So I, 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 I'm not that that – Upset about or concerned about quarterbacks outside, but you get you get to know when when wins enough. And, and I remember watching some plays in Buffalo where Josh Allen is still, you know, trying to leap guys and lower your shoulder. That's just stupid, unless the situation calls for it. But I I'm not concerned about Richardson out on the edge because I do think that the more he plays, the more he's going to realize and understand when to get down and when. Wins enough, and, and so no, I'm really not too concerned with that because I think both stake. What they hit three or four, you know, designed runs in the first eight or nine plays. So I, I think they they're trusting the quarterback to protect himself as much as he can out there. Should we be concerned about Shaquille Leonard? Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. No, right now, no. Only because I think, and we probably talked about this before the season started is is what he, he he's he's still coming back trying to get back to where he was from two back surgeries and the positive thing is he's been out there and we've seen no lingering effects as far as the injury he's not really missing practice time 
know, Dave, he's not playing as much as before because he's they're taking him out in, in past situations. And oh, by the way, he wasn't out there in overtime. But I, I, I kind of expected a a quiet start because you know the first the first box you want to check is how's the body holding up and is he getting his speed back? And I think he is. If if we're still here in November in December, where boy, you know, where is he at? There's some concern. There's concern because of the contract, and he's. I've not got the numbers in front of me, but but he's making you know eighteen, nineteen million dollars a year, and you can't project paying that kind of money if you're not convinced he's going to get back to where he was. But I think where he's at right now, in my mind, is kind of where I thought he would be. Because he hasn't played effective foot, he hasn't been able to play effective football since 2021. Those three games last year were just kind of window dressing to see where he's at and to see that he wasn't ready to come back. So right now, no. Later in the season, maybe. Longtime Colts beat writer Mike Chapel joins us. Chap, when you look at the snap counts from yesterday's game, specifically with the tight end room, it split as follows: 55 percent for. Granson, 44% for Ogletree, 27% for Allie Cox, and that is without, of course, Jelani Woods being a part of anything with him being on IR. My question is this, is there going to be any separation in that room as a clear tight end number one, or is it going to be a by-committee approach because they all kind of do different things for this offense? Probably by committee, and maybe one game it's this guy, one game it's that way. It, it, it was really good to see uh, for, for him that Ollie Cox had a chance to you know, run over people, which he's very good at doing. And he's still the premier blocker. So many times he's that, that third tight end in formations. Uh, the other guys are going to have to pick and choose, you know, whether it's Mallory being up or down or, and, and then when Zolani Woods comes back, well, I think he's due, can come back this week, I think. But I tell you, as far as playmaking, and again, Granson and, and Granson and and Ogletree are sort of different. It just seems like the way they use them. But those two guys can make plays. It, it's a really good a good groom. It's good groom. It's just going to be hard to see how they're going to divvy up times in, in this offense right now. It looks like it's Richardson's a lot more comfortable going tight ends than receivers, unless that receiver is Josh Downs. What they uh, I think Pearson. Uh, Pittman, well, they have two catches, three catches yesterday, and all 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 late. That's just you. you it's hard to operate an offense when, when you're not getting your wide receivers, your outside receivers, involved. And this is after Pittman had 25, 26 catches in the first three games. But that's I still think part of that's a function of learning how to use the quarterback and meshing his run game with throwing and getting him comfortable. So we're four games in. You know, we're still only four games into to his career, and I, I think they're still trying to figure out how best to use what he does. Mike, I had asked this question last week, and, and I'll ask you now. I, I, I don't know, to me, I don't know that we have any more a definitive answer, but every quarterback has a guy that kind of becomes their safe. You know, I remember, let's go back to 98, for those that were around and, and can remember it. I think a lot of people forget, Marvin Harrison got hurt that year in Peyton Manning's rookie year. He had Falk behind him, which is a pretty good safety net. Right. From a receiving standpoint, I feel, I remember Torrance Small was here. It yeah. kind of became like a like a 
a comfort zone for Manning, right? That was kind of his safety net guy. And I feel like Anthony Richardson, if there's going to be a safety net guy for him and it's not Pittman, it would be one of the tight ends. But I don't know yet, and I haven't figured out which tight end is going to be his most comfortable or reliable target. It seems very interchangeable, which I guess is a good problem to have. But who is the best tight end they have? Oh, Ogletree right now probably. Uh, Granson gives you indications, and then there's a play or two he doesn't make. I, I couldn't tell on the replay even a couple times whether the DB got his hands on that ball on the sideline or whether Granson just didn't make what would have been a really a tough catch near the end. Uh, it seems to me like the way they use these guys that Granson would be the safety net, you know, the third and seven guy. Uh, and, and Ogletree's more of a intermediate or, or a deeper threat. But, yeah, I, I would I would like to know – if I'm a quarterback, I'd like to know, boy, this, this is – you know, the Jack Doyle. You know, when you just knew, third and seven, he's going to get you eight. You know, we always used to joke he was Jack, 7.9 yards of Doyle. Well, that's, that, that's pretty reliable to have when you need it, and, and he was always there. But I think, again, I, I fall back on there still trying to figure out who that guy is. Is it Josh Downs? I don't know. Right now, it doesn't appear to be – it's certainly not Alec Pierce. They need to get him going. And up until this past week, it was Michael Pittman, even though they weren't really deep shots, except for the one you know, at Baltimore. So it's just – it's inconsistent. But, boy, you like to have one guy that you know when it's really – you know, down to brass tacks that this guy's probably going to be the guy, you know, like Nakua for crying out loud with Stafford. Uh, But these guys haven't got that yet, and hopefully in the next three or four games that guy will emerge. Mike Chappell is our guest. Chap, it's the million-dollar question of the week, nay, the million-dollar question of the whole offseason. What happens with Jonathan Taylor this week? Well, from what I was told, he's going to practice. He's going to be clear, and he's going to practice. He, he could have already passed a physical. I don't know. That's step one. We'll talk to Shane Steichen at 2.30 and see if he has any updates. He might. He might not. But, you know, th- this is this is where something's, something's got to happen. I was told that he will. The, the plan is to have him practicing this week. That opens up that 21-day window. I mean, theoretically, he could play Sunday against Tennessee. Just because that's the way the mechanics are now, that would be highly, highly unlikely. You know, more likely the week after, in my mind, maybe more likely, you know, the third game back. But this is when something's got – there's got to be movement. And the movement's going to be on his part. I don't – you know, the team's not going to blink. Why would the team that wouldn't give him an extension in the offseason give him one now when he's he's missed – four games and hasn't proven to anybody that he's healthy until he practices. You don't know. He's been telling us by, by his actions that he's not healthy, that the ankle's still an issue. Well, then he needs to get out there and really prove it to, to, to the team and maybe to the rest of the league that, Hey, I'm back to who I was two years ago. I'm still an elite running back. Well, the only way you can do that is to play. And, Let's not kid ourselves. If he comes back and, and is, a, is is close to what he was, he's a difference maker. He is. You know, good for Zach Moss and all he's done, but Jonathan Taylor is a different level. He just is. But it's going to be on him to, to 
you know, come out and, and somehow I don't say prove it, but but just show people that that he that he does have it. He's healthy, and yeah, this situation sucks for him, but you have to make the most. So you just can't you just can't not you know put forth the effort, which I don't think he would even remotely do. So this week or next week, we're going to get some movement, and I think we all we all applaud that. You know the Mike. Let's just say for the sake of argument that Jonathan Taylor comes back, plays, and is a positive aspect for them, and it really jumpstarts their offense, and it works out just as everyone would hoped it would. The reality is it would be how long before that would even be possible. In other words, if he's healthy and if his head is there, it would take how long for him to even be from a health standpoint ready to go? Once he steps on the field, probably two or three games, okay. four games. Uh, I remember when we talked to Zach Moss before the opener. Remember he had the broken forearm, and they didn't play him in the opener. And he said, you know, we said, well, at least it wasn't your legs. You could stay in shape. He said, no. He said, and he just said how quickly a player lo- loses football conditioning, football shape. Well, Taylor hasn't played since December. Uh, the last time he played, he played like two snaps on the ankle. He just then he shut it down. So, and I was told, you know, one of the concerns they had through all of this is that he wasn't in football shape. Well, you can't get in football shape unless you play. I think there's only so much you can do on the side and, and doing your own rehab. But I think once he gets back, I think we've seen running backs can 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 be an impact very quickly. You know, I, go, I always go back to Edron James, who, who was a freak. Let's remember, he's a freak. But he barely had any training camp, and he and he wins fully rushing title. So running backs can do that, but but he's got to get back in football shape. So I think maybe his third game back, maybe whenever that is, he could really start being more of a a feature guy instead of maybe just spot him here and there the first few games, however they want to use him. But first first things first, he's got to go on the practice field. Then he's got to get be cleared and added to the active roster and that can be any time between you know now and 21 days mike we appreciate it as always going to be an interesting time especially now with the jonathan taylor return uh to keep an eye on it so we'll look for your coverage on that cbs4 wxin and always appreciate your time each week enjoy the week thanks guys all right mike chapel joining us on the hotline changes in bloomington with their coaching staff we will get into that and talk with what happened over the weekend between Indiana and Maryland. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, joins us next. Halfway through the program on a Monday, Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. Don Fisher is the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, joins us now on the program. And Don, I actually was thinking about this. I was listening to you on Saturday. I had to vent out of the speedway, and I was driving around town listening to the game. And very early in the game, my initial thought was, Boy, Don Fisher looked into a crystal ball because he had said that he was worried that Maryland offensively had the chance to be really explosive, and they wasted no time getting to it, right? I I, I literally – you cut out of me, Jake. I'm on a highway right now, and you cut out, and you said – and Don Fisher something, and then I didn't hear anymore. I was talking about how good-looking you are and what a legend you are. I'm sorry you missed it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was saying – 
you it was like you had a crystal ball because you seemed pretty dialed into the fact that you thought and I mean listen obviously the, the tape would indicate it going into it but it seemed like you were genuinely concerned that Maryland was going to be able to get out and get out and go running against Indiana and get points early and that's exactly what happened and then all of a sudden they were playing against the eight ball exactly um you know, you just you, what would probably bother me the most about the first half, or at least the first quarter, again, was Indiana's inability to stop any big plays. I mean, they gave up way too many yards on virtually everything that Maryland tried with everything Maryland threw at them. Uh, they just gave up too many big plays. Uh, so the defense again was a bit of a struggle to say the least. And uh, the offense, you know, has been a little erratic here in the last two or three ball games now, and you start to worry a little bit about it. So uh, it was, to me, it was a very poor performance from Indiana's perspective. Uh, yeah, they got 17 points in the final quarter. Uh, what does that mean? It means that Maryland was playing their backups a good portion of the, or their backups on the uh, in the final 15 minutes of the football game, and that's that's no knock on. Uh, the, the performance by Brendan Sorsby, who actually played very well at his opportunity. But right now, this team is struggling mightily, and, it, and the bye week couldn't have come along at a better time because they need to regroup, and obviously they're going to do that in the sense of offensively because they let go of the offensive coordinator, Walt Bell, and replaced it with Rod Carey. And so let's get to that, Don. You know, I think everybody knows. Matter of fact, I think we mentioned it. You know, there was kind of an awkward moment uh, in the coach's show last week where essentially Tom Allen was asked or suggested about the coaching change at the offensive coordinator position. Um, were you surprised that it would happen mid-season like that? Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't surprised. Um, and the reason I wasn't surprised is because of the way things have gone here in these initial ball games of the season. I, I, I think, and I, and this is not a knock on Walt Bell's ability as an offensive coordinator, other than to say that the plays that were run in very uh, interesting situations, I say interesting in the sense that we might have expected some other play being called, uh, they weren't called. And, and the plays that looked like they might work in that situation or those situations did it just didn't happen. And I'll be honest, the, the grousing that we've heard from the fan base and those kinds of things for all season at this point, um, you've got to say, well, it's not a big surprise because nobody seems happy with it. And, yeah, the guy in the talk show brought it up. And he didn't actually call for the resignation, but he basically intimated that, Tom, you have a decision to make here. And people, I guess, reacted to Tom's, you know, because Tom, Tom just kind of smiled about it and didn't make any comment whatsoever. And I don't know what ex, what people expected him to do in that scenario unless they wanted to go Bob Knight all over them. <laughs> but the whole point is um, we just haven't seen much from the offense from a play-calling perspective. And so I was not surprised. Uh, and we've talked about it you know, privately over the last couple of years about uh, the play calling and, and the, those kinds of things. And, of course, last year wasn't much better than you know, what we saw the year before, which was not a good year with two wins. So, honestly, Jake, I, I, all I can tell you is I think Tom did the only thing that he could do in this search, in this situation. 
And Rod Carey is a guy that I've known since he was a player at Indiana. He had a terrific career at Northern Illinois. Uh, he coached at Temple. Uh, they let him go. There were obviously some circumstances there that were factors in his being let go. Uh, I think he's a great coach. I think he's a guy that has always been offensive-minded. He's been an offensive coordinator. He's been an offensive line coach, and he's been a head coach who had a lot of success at Northern Illinois, and he's had 17 to go to bowl games when he's been a head coach. So uh, I think Indiana could have made a better choice, at least at this point in the season. Voice the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, is our guest. And you mentioned with Kerry over those stops, 64 and 57 bowl appearances to his name. Don, with so many question marks, though, on the offensive side of the ball, is a week enough time? I mean, let alone that Michigan's waiting on the schedule, but is a week enough time for them to transform in a way that that makes things more palatable from an offensive standpoint? I, I do think that that's that's a possibility. I, I think I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm simply saying I think that they can make changes that could help. I really do believe that, and I think uh, Rod Carey's a guy that that I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in. I think he he's going to make a lot of the right calls in this situation. It doesn't mean. Again, I'm not trying to disparage Walt Bell in any way. I, I think Walt's a great guy. I think he's a really smart person. Uh, but he just didn't have the success at Indiana that people expected him to have, and therefore the change was made. But as far as what's to come, uh, without doubt, if it couldn't come at a better time, I don't know when you would have made that decision because you do need time to change things and to change the thinking process. Uh, yep, Michigan's his next opponent. Uh, that makes things even more difficult. But at the same time, you want to give these guys and these players a chance. Um, and at this juncture, um, I, I don't see any change at quarterback. I think David Jackson certainly deserves the opportunity to continue. Um, I don't think a lot of this necessarily is on him. Uh, and I think what we do need to see, we do need to see a, a big change in how the offense was about their business on the football field, and I think we'll get that with Rod Carey. Don, it's interesting. Don Fisher's our guest, the voice of the Hoosiers. Um, as I'd mentioned, when I was listening to the broadcast on Saturday, something dawned on me, and, and we had talked last time we talked with you about the transfer portal and just how that's a, a challenge at times and can help a team as well. When you were doing the introductions for Indiana's defense and you're announcing each player in, in their hometown, I think the first five players you mentioned, you mentioned by way of Texas A&M, by way of you know, in different schools where where kids had transferred. Does that does that mean that we still need to be patient with camaraderie and chemistry of a defense, or should they have been able to have gelled together by now? Is there still a gelling process that takes place with that many guys that have not played with one another? I do think that there is still that process ongoing, Jake, although uh, at, at times you want to say, well, they've been together long enough for that not to happen or those kinds of things. But, again, I, I, I do think that because of the number of guys that are on this defense, and let's face it, they only have two starters returning from last year. So there is a process involved here, and it does take some time. We've seen them play pretty well at times. That's that's the disappointing thing. Certainly, we thought they did a decent job against Ohio State. They, they certainly were uh, decent against Indiana State. They were they were not great in the first half against Louisville, and yet they came back in the second half and threw basically a shutout. So, 
you know, it's so hard to understand what's going on with this ball club right now. And I think confidence can be lost very quickly, as we all know, at Indiana University. Uh, And hopefully that is not the case. But, boy, last week it certainly didn't look good. Well, there's one thing we can definitely agree on. In fact, we can agree on it so much to a point that it was the lead sentence on IUHoosiers.com. An Indiana football bye week could not have come at a better time. Don Fisher, our guest. Don, you enjoy the bye week, and we'll talk to you on the countdown to Michigan. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate it, Don. And again, keep in mind, Jimmy, as I have mentioned, it's been tough sledding for Indiana. <laughs> they The roof kind of caved in for them, as we talked about, against Maryland. You had a guy that showed up at the coach's show telling Tom Allen, essentially, you better make a change at the offensive coordinator position. We don't like the play calling. It's a business. Did you check, by the way, any of us check to see like, if there's mob uh, contingencies there? Because <laughs> all <laughs> of a sudden you blink twice after one coach's show You're and right. all bells out You're the right. door. You're right. But everybody knew that was coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Here's the thing. Bye week. Recollect a little bit. Regroup. What they're built, what they're doing right now, is they've got a bunch of wood, right? And in that wood, they're building a big horse, <laughs> and it's a Trojan horse that goes in, and it's a surprise attack that comes out of nowhere with 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 snapping fingers inside the belly of the horse and stuns the world. Now that's the thing. Indiana's not going to Michigan, Jimmy. Thank you, Eddie. They're not going there doing the Indiana oh Indiana. No, 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 no. No. They're doing you know what to do. They're doing the Tom Allen jazz hands. Do we have the audio, Eddie? That's what we need. I don't have, we have it, no. Well, you you got to we got we got Tom Allen. He's whispering. He's snapping. One, and the two, team the team you know watching what to do. Right. And so, for those that don't know, this is what they do after games, right? They do they sing the fight song, and then Tom Allen gets them real quiet now. Like, Got a nice like, jazz number. Like shout from the Beatles, right? And the jazz hands come out, and the snap comes. And that's that's how they're going to enter into Michigan, and nobody's going to expect it. Nobody's going to expect it. They're, college game day, everybody else, they're, they're talking about the college football playoffs. They're talking about, you know... These are the teams that are eschewing to make the playoffs right now. I mean, Texas is on the fast track, and Michigan's on the fast track, and USC's on the fast track, and Notre Dame's hoping for a little bit of help, and and you know Alabama now is probably on the, way on the outside looking in, but they're hoping that, that topsy-turvy happens, that Georgia's on the fast track. What nobody is accounting for is that that, that little fun whisper snap, that turns into a loud seismic roar. Okay, and when it happens to a loud seismic roar, then the the Trojan horse opens, and here come the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers parading and storming and barnstorming that college football playoff and turning it upside down because Indiana is going to go to the big house and stun the Michigan Wolverines and open that thing, and they're gonna they're gonna do Indiana's gonna do to the college football playoff what. The Colts can't seem to do at Lucas Oil Stadium, and that is open that roof and blow it out, right? <laughs> I'm telling you right now, the college football playoff world is going to be stunned when Indiana goes in and stuns the fight in Michigan. Oh, there we go. You know what to do. Indiana. Yeah, see, that's how they're starting Indiana, out, right? Indiana. That's, that's the guys coming up right now, driving up Interstate 69, about Fort Wayne area. They're, they're right about here, right? Then they start to cross over into the state line. They get up towards Detroit, and they got to hook a left and head towards Ann Arbor. And then they get inside the big house. 
and they're still doing that, right? They're sneaking in, and everybody's thinking to themselves, big change, these guys, young quarterback. They got a head coach that has big bicep, looks like Ed Hockley, right? Wears tight shirts. Now, right here, there we go. Now, let's see, there they are right now. That's the game right there, baby. Yep, there it is. Uh-huh. Michigan has no idea what happened. Who turned up the volume on these guys? Indiana stuns the world. And you can bet every dollar you have that if it happens, I'm coming on the show. Sounded like the end of that. And if it doesn't happen, which it probably won't, you'll never hear me talk about it again. Interesting note from Eddie's father. Did you ever hear the TV show, The Courtship of Eddie's Father? Uh, no. But your That's dad's the first I'm hearing it. I liked it. It was, but I was really young. I don't think it lasted very long. Um, but your dad, what was the the note that he said after he, my? Uh, he texted me and said, "HR just called. Jake needs to be uh, submit a drug test immediately." Okay, well, that's already not possible because we don't have an HR department. So who called? Exactly. So Derek, who is our. <laughs> Director of Veteran Affairs sent me a note earlier today that said, I have a doctor's appointment at noon, so I will be clocking in late today for the company. And I said, we'll let HR know. And he said, I thought we don't have an HR department. I said, that's an excellent point. We don't have an HR department, right, in the company. We don't want one. I don't think so. Yeah, we don't want one. That's right. That ultimately, though, can turn into a crutch. For example, let's say that you ask Eddie to go do something for the show. No, it's all right. I got HR on it. And if you forget in that moment that we don't have an HR department, Eddie is now hoodwinked you into thinking HR is going to take care of something, but there's no <laughs> HR department to get it yeah, done. That's a good point. It's all, it's all a scam, right? Yep. It's all a scam. Uh, yesterday, Colts getting the win over the Rams. We didn't talk much college football, but I told you Duke was tough. And that was a good win for Notre Dame, obviously. To You know, I was – honestly, I was pulling for Duke. And – I was at a party, my friend Michelle Connell, the, her 50th birthday party. So I was at that, and we were. I had just left, and I looked at my phone, and I see that it's 4th and 16 or 4th and 17 with like a minute left. And I'm like, oh, man, Duke is actually going to pull this thing out. And the next thing I know, I look, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, Notre Dame's jumping around celebrating. I'm like, what happened? That was a heck of that was a nice finish for Notre Dame, obviously. It was a gutsy run by Sam Hartman. I'll be honest with you. I was at a wedding Saturday, so while I was stepping away occasionally to, you know, see a couple highlights, maybe watch a play or two, I enjoyed that Sam Hartman first down run via what I assume is Duke Radio. I was on Sirius XM on the drive home, and the announcers sounded very beside themselves and disappointed to the point that I would assume it was the Duke Radio feed. They were have the new rankings come out yet? They have. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Notre Dame is 10th and 11th, respectively. Um, man, I'll tell you the thing that's disappointing. Nobody here cares about Clemson but me, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I, you know, they Clemson had Florida State dead to rights and due to a terrible play call late, ended up losing that game. Uh, if, if Clemson beats Florida State and they still only have the one loss and it's against Duke on the road – they're still, what would they be? Probably after beating Syracuse fairly handily and handing Syracuse their first loss. Clemson right now would be ranked what? Like probably 12 to 15, somewhere in there. It would help Notre Dame too if they'd won that game. Because Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame is going to win at Clemson. Notre Dame's got a chance to, I, I think, Jimmy, they're still in pretty good position for the playoff because they have two, not one, but two games left that are, I mean, at Clemson, even though Clemson doesn't have probably the ranking cachet, it is still thought of as like a good win to win at Clemson, but yep. then also USC, 
you know, those two games, that helps Notre Dame to still have two of them there on their schedule. Then, they, you know, Washington and Oregon eventually would cancel one another out. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan are going to cancel each other out. I mean, it's the, the road is still pretty open. Washington's the one that nobody talks about. Michael Penix having a hell of a year. I mean, a really good year. But again, they're up there in the Pacific Northwest, so you just never hear about them, right? Yeah, they get lost in the shuffle of things, and it's easy to lose them because there's also two high-powered offenses and two high-powered teams within their own conference in Oregon and USC that are naturally more national darlings than Washington is. Now, so they have you know, against them as well. Do you know my second, the, the team other than Clemson, amongst the, the non-market teams, the one that I always kind of pull for and watch and follow? Big win, baby. Four and one. Getting ready for a top 25 matchup. Who's that? Go Pokes. Wyoming. Okay. Wyoming now four and one. Knocked off New Mexico. Fresno State's next on the schedule. Eight o'clock on Fox. Coming up on the seventh. You can watch it. It's a ranked showdown for them. Fresno That's what I said. Fresno State's 24th. Yep. yep. And Jake, if you were wondering, that IU game against Michigan in two weeks, mm-hmm. it is on Fox at noon. So they get the national get the national audience to watch them the big house will have never looked yes. smaller i'm telling you right now Honestly. yeah hundred and five thousand people average age 105 uh, i'm telling you right now uh th- you said noon on fox correct okay three o'clock on fox will be the breaking news sounder of fox alerting the country that the college football playoffs have been turned into total upheaval because of the indiana fighting hoosiers two o'clock in indianapolis for that matter it's two o'clock everywhere in the eastern time zone my name is Jake Query, Eddie Garrison, Jimmy Cook, along with here for Querying Company on a Monday. How are you? Beautiful day outside. Colts yesterday, overtime loss to the Los Angeles Rams. Back into that conversation. I'm good. How are you? I'm a little tired. You know, you ask us how we're doing. We sometimes forget to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> well, thank you, Eddie. Um, I'm okay. I, you know, I don't really have any... Uh, you know, I had like a procedural weekend. Like I mentioned, went to a, a birthday party Saturday night, which was great fun. Got to see some people that I went to high school with. I, tell me if you should, if I should be offended by this. Uh, we went to, again, my friend Michelle's 50th birthday. And I'm standing talking to another high school classmate. And he says, well, you know who's here? So who? So he tells me a girl that I literally had not seen since the summer after high school. North Central is a very big school. And so we were, this girl and I were in the same, kind of in the same social circle. We ran with the same friends, but like I never had classes with her. So I didn't know her overly well, except for that we were in the same circle, basically, right? Okay. And in the final week of school of my senior year, I remember at lunch one day, everybody's talking about who they were going to grad dance with, which is the last dance after the graduation. And I had not yet, you know, I wasn't dating anybody, whatever. And I'm like, I have no idea. And most people went like his friends, that kind of thing. Right. And so she was at my lunch table and Molly is her name. And Molly's like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I don't have anybody I'm going with. And I'm like, well, I'm not, you want to just, why don't we just go together? You know, we'll just, cause we went with like a big group, but I'm like, you know, technically that's my grad dance date. So Molly's like, yeah, okay, cool. So we, we went Adam Alexander who does NASCAR on Fox um, took Katie Cromer and then I took Molly Cramsey and my buddy Scott McConnell and his girlfriend and so we all went together to the grad dance and I remember we were like you know we've done so many of the like dinners and all that we went and got pizza for, for grad dance and then went to grad dance anyway I see her at the party Saturday night and I walk up to her and I'm like oh my gosh like I have not seen you since grad dance and she's like yeah I, I think I went to grad dance I'm like well you went with me 
She's like, yeah, I, I don't recall. Oh, no. I'm like, you don't remember going to grad dance with me? Oh, no. She's like, I, I don't think so. And I'm like, well, anyway, this is Shannon. And Shannon's like, don't feel bad. I, I they're, <laughs> We've been on dates. I don't remember either. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm glad to know that Molly had a great time at grad dance, right? That took anyway, a bit of a hit to your ego, I would assume. So, no, we, I actually had a good laugh out of it. We, we, we had a good laugh, and, and it was good to see her. But at any rate, um, the game yesterday, I thought, you know, likewise, as I had mentioned earlier, when you go back and you look, like if I was to look at pictures of grad dance, probably by then a little bit different because I'm like 18, but if you, I have a picture of my freshman year homecoming dance, okay? My hair was pretty bad. My braces had just come off. I had braces all through middle school. I never really had a bad acne problem, but you know, you get acne when you're in high, you know, that age, right? And most people, if they have a picture of themselves, like in seventh grade, they've got a headgear, their hair's really bad, the fashion is terrible, they've got braces or a retainer, just a really awkward, gangly period. And you have to remind yourself, if you're a Colts fan, that what you are seeing right now are the awkward, gangly, acne, headgear-wearing era of the Colts. Because a year ago, they just decided to finally rip off the Band-Aid. And, you know, they said, we're starting over, basically. And a lot of layers on that Band-Aid. A lot of layers. A lot of Band-Aids. Multiple Band-Aids, right? yes. They threw out a yep. couple of Band-Aids. Yep. That's exactly right. And so, when you go with a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson, and then they come right out of the womb... And there wasn't even like a diaper area. They're like running around the house. I mean, it's like, you know, the legendary story of the horse race, the, the racehorse, excuse me, Secretariat, my favorite racehorse of all time. And the story with Secretariat is that when Secretariat was born and he came out and he's this colt, it was like, it, it took him like something like seven minutes before he was standing on his own. And then like at 11 minutes, he, he like took a step. And for most horses, that's like an hour or, you know, whatever, right? Right. And the Colts kind of feel that way with the, at least we thought that for a minute, right? You have a young team, young quarterback, he gets hurt, but the team rises up, Gardner Minshew comes in, and they win at Baltimore, and all of a sudden people are like, whoa, this is Andrew Luck's rookie year all over again, where everything's going to bounce their way, and you know what, like, let's go for the division. Like, instead of let's go for the rebuild, let's go for the division. We're 2-1, and one. We, we already beat Houston on the road. Jacksonville's lost a game. We went and won at Baltimore. Like, let's go. And then yesterday, they came out, and truthfully, I think in the first half, were a little too conservative. Anthony Richardson, I thought, looked at in the outset of the game, Jimmy. He looked like a quarterback that was coming off of the concussion protocol and was a little weary in what he was doing. And and offensively, they looked like a franchise that was trying to protect their quarterback by not going too deep into the playbook too early. So now all of a sudden, you're down 20 to nothing at the half. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the real keys I thought in the game, there were two things that happened late in the first half to me that were very telling. One of them, the Colts had, I think it was a third and five, and... Richardson drops back and he's throwing. They were going from north to south. He was throwing to his left and he way overthrew the receiver. 
There's kind of a groan from the crowd, and Richardson kind of puts his head down and trots back to the sidelines, and the whole place is just flat. And, you know, that stadium is big and cavernous in its own right and at times can lack energy, but when it's flat, it's really flat, right? Yeah. And it was just flat. And Richardson kind of trots over to the sidelines, and there's this same nervous, incredulous silence amongst everybody in the crowd as Richardson comes to the sidelines. And I watched the body language, and he looked not defeated, but just frustrated. And no one went over to say anything to him. No one. Till finally, Isaiah McKenzie comes over and, and goes and stands next to him. And I don't think they were avoiding him because they don't like him. I think they were avoiding him just because it's like, hey, you know what? Like, just kind of let him have his moment here, right? And then at the end of the half, just what I'm thinking, perhaps because of the, the totally flat effort that was presented, that maybe the Colts would get booed. Nothing was going their way. Nothing. EJ Speed had a boneheaded play. Matt Gay has to watch the guy that replaced him kick a 54-yarder. Matt Gay misses a a field goal attempt. Nothing's going their way. And they're about to go down 23-0 to end the half, and the crowd theoretically is going to have a smattering of boos to voice their displeasure at the flat effort. And the guy for the Rams misses the field goal attempt, and so there's a cheer uh, a, a cheer of relief from the crowd that, in fact, the Colts are not down 23 nothing, And they go to their respective locker rooms. And in the second half, Jimmy, a combination of things happen. Number one, Anthony Richardson, who had been kind of struggling and getting his passing game going, number one, starts going to his tight ends. Eventually, they kind of took that away. But Drew Ogletree suddenly starts making a couple of plays. Each tight end gets involved a little bit. Zach Moss is running hard. And then Richardson himself is running the football, but but they're designing plays for him to run. And he's making plays, and he's sliding, and the crowd likes it, and they're clapping, and they're cheering. And then before you know it, the defense kind of wakes up as well, and the Colts are back in the game. And then, of course, when it mattered most, the Rams win the toss and the defense complete you know again for their five leading tacklers in the game were their secondary so it shows you that they weren't necessarily getting all of the pressure that they needed on Stafford who was basically immobile but but they lost track of and lost sight of what had gotten them back in the game defensively in terms of limiting Stafford's ability to pass the ball laterally and the Rams win the game so It was a game of a lot of ups and downs. And the reality is, Jimmy, that in this season, that game is the microcosm of what this season is going to be. You're going to see a ton of that. Week to week, you're going to see slivers of hope, slivers of, wow, this is really a budding quarterback that is developing in front of our eyes and we can believe in what the Colts are trying to build. And there's going to be other games where it's going to be ugly. It's going to be gross. And you're going to be wondering where the real direction the franchise is. I will say, and I know it's an extremely small sample size, but that is yet to happen in a game where the clear takeaway is Anthony Richardson looks overmatched. Anthony Richardson looks like he is not ready for this moment, that he's inexperienced, that he's every bit the major project that people made him out to be when the Colts selected in Maple's draft. You can say a lot about the Colts as an organization right now, where their shortcomings are. It has never felt like Anthony Richardson is the reason that the Colts were 
out of a game or that they were the reason that the Colts are two and two now instead of still in the driver's seat in the division at four and one. Another thing I will say in regards to the defense, and I'm not trying to fully give them a pass because you give up 20 in the first half and for a lot of people that's game over goes to overtime. So the Colts show some more resolve on both sides of the football. They only gave it three points in the second half and then folded like I think you could have expected them to in overtime, given the fact that they were on the field for nearly 40 minutes. Like, I don't often care about time of possession because it's an argument that can easily be flipped. For instance, if you hold the ball for 20 minutes and you score a touchdown out of it, but then in two minutes the other team scores, it it doesn't matter as much. Like, yes, fatigue's going to happen, but there's an easy way to flip that script if your offense is potent enough. Not saying that the Colts are there yet or not, but point being... You're out there for 40 minutes. You're expected to get one more stance, and I know it's the highest level of the sport, but was I surprised that Puka Nakua was the one that ended things? No, I was not. Because they're yeah, number one wide receiver. Fitting, right? Yes. Like, and, and that's going to be a dangerous team whenever they get Cooper Cup back. I'm not saying dangerous in like that, oh, they're going to win the NFC, but they deserve a lot more credit than what they got going into the season, which is they are still two years removed from their chips all in Super Bowl, and they're washed, and Stafford doesn't have it anymore you got to monitor his health, of course, but it's a good football team. Like, it, it's, There's not a sense of, oh, the Colts had no business losing to the Rams. There's games on the schedule where that might happen, where it's like, oh, how'd they lose to that team? That's not my takeaway from yesterday. And my takeaway of the shortcomings of the Colts does not point on the shoulders of Anthony Richardson, which that would be an area where maybe you'd have more concerns if you could clearly point and say, well, he's not progressing. He is not showing strides in his development look no further than as you highlighted Jake his play from first half to second half that's an easy moment to fold away to pack it in and he stood through that test and he lost the game in a scenario where he didn't get to touch the football that is the tough rule of regular season overtime you give up a touchdown you're not getting the ball back if this is a postseason game they would have gotten an opportunity to respond you know the um the one other takeaway of the game for me we talked about because I agree with that on Richardson. I mean, Richardson showed a lot of moxie, man. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of growing up that had to be done in the second half of that game, and he kept him in it. He brought him back in it. He was he's pretty talented. There is no doubt about it. And you know, are the overthrows of concern? Sure, but your hope is that that you know that can hopefully mechanically be worked on. I don't know that the speed and the ability to get out around the edge and get in space can be, you know, that that's that has to be natural and God given a little bit and he has that. Um, not to beat the dead horse here or the dead cold in this case, I don't mean he is, I'm saying the topic, but Shaq Leonard is, at what point are we going to list this as problematic? I need answers on, is it because they value what Franklin and Speed, who, again, we talked about Speed's penalty yesterday, but at what point is it Franklin and Speed are a better equation for this defense in terms of snap counts? At what point is it that versus there's something more there or whether it's an injury, whether it's he's 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 regressed? At what point is that the conversation around Shaq Leonard? Because for me, and we'll probably never get that clarity from this coaching staff, and that's not exclusive to the Colts. A lot of coaching staff keep things like that close to the chest, but at what point is it Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed are more valuable out there than him versus it, he's taking a step back? Right. Or it's a health thing. I, 
they claim it's not a health thing, right? I guess I would also be talking to the fact of, is it the ramifications of him from a like a, a post-injury standpoint? Like, Jake, we're now, what, a, a year or so removed from where he dealt with all those injuries a year ago? Is it one of those things where he might never be the same player? I, or is it just a, a... Wouldn't you feel that way at this point? Kind of. Because a year ago, you would have said, well, he's you know he's still working through that. And then it was, you know, he, he's on pup through camp. And at this point, you would think, enough time has passed that you would think that if he was going to be 100%, it would be by now, right? Yeah, and I also don't think there's... At this point in the season, I don't think there's a real conversation to be said that Shaq Leonard is more valuable in terms of not like leadership or anything like that, but in terms of snap by snap that he's more valuable than Zaire Franklin is. Like Zaire Franklin, by all accounts, is having a near career year. Like it would I, be EJ. Or, not Zaire. But either way, like when you're looking at because we, we asked Speed that question. The reason I bring in Zaire into the conversation, Eddie, is we asked Speed that question last week of why are we not seeing all three of you out there? And he mentioned the the distribution of where the snaps are. So you're right. It is it is more Speed than it is Franklin. But my larger point is that is there still a place for what Shaq Leonard is being paid for and asked to do? If Speed or if Franklin are outplaying him, like, are we at a point now where that's also into the equation? I don't know. I mean, because if it is just he's never going to be the same player, then that stinks for everybody involved. Of course, and it makes you wonder what the the future is there, right? Um, you know, Shane Steichen had said afterwards, basically, like, hey, he's healthy. He, he just, you know, we're just going, we're doing something else there. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing, right? Um, which, you know, that, that is an area that, that is certainly of question. I, I thought, again, defensive, you, you know, Dio had a nice, at one point, you know, stripped the ball out, was aggressive, but I felt like their, their pass rush also was not what we had been accustomed to seeing in the previous few weeks. You were hoping for a similar performance, particularly on the edge that you saw against Baltimore last week and it never really materialized and I will also say and this goes back I guess to a depth thing no no one's going to be a second unit player and be equal to or above the talent of DeForest Buckner that's not fair for any team in the league but I will say it is alarming that with how they handled the pitch count of DeForest Buckner a week ago or not a week ago yesterday rather that they were able to still get carved up the way they were from a running game standpoint because that was a Colts strength in theory for this defensive unit is their ability to contain the run to some extent, and that just didn't happen yesterday. By the way, how about uh, Justin Fields yesterday? On, on a side note. Are you back in the I mean, they didn't win, but at least, no, all I'm saying is it just goes to show in the NFL. I mean, he was written off for dead. Like, this guy can't play anymore, 19 quarterback rating. He goes out and throws for, what, 303 touchdowns? Yep. But I mean, it's Denver. Granted, but still, like, you know, the NFL, you just never know from one week to the next. I'm telling you, that's the thing. It is so – and there's a, with the quarterback position, it is such a fine line between when you write a guy off and determine that you've seen totality and when you leave the door open for the possibility that, that it's other things besides the player themselves that are variables factoring into you it. You mean it might be the Bears just uh, aren't a well-run organization? Uh, I, yeah, well, he just needs confidence. Really, he'll get an opportunity somewhere else. the tra- The train is towards Caleb Williams. 
Like, I feel like as a franchise, the Bears feel like they don't owe anything to Justin Fields because they weren't the ones to draft him. Like, unless he's able to really... But they're the ones that decided to go that direction. They are. They are. But they have a great glass in case of emergency in that they could potentially end up with the number one pick either from them or from Carolina. You know who loves Justin Fields? Who's that? Chris Ballard. Coming out of the draft. Loved him. Um... Shane Steichen asked about Shaq Leonard, as I mentioned, and why Shaq Leonard was not on the field in key moments in the second half had this to say. Was Shaq dealing with an injury at all? Because at one point it was Sagoon and EJ Speed. No. What's the playing time? We're just obviously rotating them in there, obviously. coming just That's the rotation. Are you rotating Shaq Leonard in two years ago? Like, oh, is, that, I, is that where your look I, is I, for him? Point taken, yes. I mean, you are <laughs> correct. Your, your, your rhetorical is, is the correct question. And that, that wasn't Steichen here, but and I would need to go back and, and I guess do some digging on this off the air, but unless that's a philosophy that Shane Steichen carried with him in conversations or that he learned from Sirianni or that he picked up in Philadelphia, as a as the OC, as the head coach, I get it, he has final say, but I would think that's a Gus Bradley decision. And if it's a Gus Bradley decision, like you would think as the defensive coordinator, then that would lead me to wonder... If it was Gus Bradley's decision entirely, though, and it was a questionable one, Shane Steichen would say, you know, I leave that up to Gus. Fair. Right? Yeah, probably. But again, him being a rotation piece is A, not what he was paid for, and B, not where you want this. I don't think where you want the defense to be. I would agree here with Madison, by the way. I think Madison has a really good point. Uh, Madison, who is the director of namesake of Indiana Towns for the Aquarian Company, says, I'm not going to pretend to know more than a defensive coordinator, but my only question is, why not come out in overtime in all-out attack mode against Stafford instead of sitting back? Yep. I, I mean, Stafford could be... It, is, it was fascinating. Like, And I know that those guys can go to the sidelines, and, and I, I didn't see what they were... If they did anything with Stafford, but they can go and get... If he's cramping or whatever else. And it might have been cramps. When you saw that he could like barely move, it may have been cramps. Which, by the way, pickle juice is good for that. Did you know that? I had heard of that, yeah. When's the last time you got a Charlie horse? Like a middle of the night Charlie horse. A year or two ago. Eddie? I couldn't even tell you. I've only probably had one in my life. What? Yeah. Lucky you, man. I I stay hydrated. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I don't even... I mean... I have no idea what causes them. I don't think it's dehydration. I mean, dehydration probably is a factor. But when you get one, not only does it hurt, but like for like the next day, you know, your muscle feels strained, right? And he was walking like he was trying to work out a cramp yeah. at one point. So maybe that's what it was. But I would agree, his his ability to move around, he was so limited in his mobility. Why not just go after that full bore, right? Yeah. And they didn't do so. They, they did seem to... It did seem that they laxed. All of a sudden, they were a little more flexible in allowing the Rams' passing game to to execute. You, you, you could tell as they started to gel within that drive that they were in trouble. Like they, they they were to your point. It felt like the Rams were clicking in a way that just was not there for most of the fourth quarter. Right, and and maybe that was. I don't know. I wasn't watching Matthew Stafford on the sidelines to see what he did. I mean, they saw they they panned to him on the bike a couple times in the broadcast. So he did look a little bit better in overtime than he did the final two drives of the fourth quarter. He looked better than he did when he turned around and walked away when that girl fell off the photographer's stand right. at the Super yes. Bowl in Los Angeles. Yes, he did. Yeah, Which was not a good look at all, no, right? No, not a good look. In any way, shape, or form. 
And then last night, as we talked about, um, something happened in the NFL that I never thought I'd see at all, and I don't know that we'll see again. It was almost precedented in the National Football League. Something happened in the National Football League this weekend that is literally totally foreign to the NFL in a a game-changing moment for the National Football League. Uh, I'll tell you what that is on the other side here. It's Quarry and Company on a Monday, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. So, Brett Michaels is a good example of what I'm about to talk about that happened in the NFL that I never thought I'd see. If I'm not mistaken, at some point, it would make perfect sense if it hasn't taken place. But I'm fairly certain that Brett Michaels or Poison played Carb Day one year. Right? And, you know, Steven Tyler did the national anthem for the Indianapolis 500. Um, you had... 2013. For Brett Michaels? For Poison. They were the headline. Okay. Um... The Grand Prix of Alabama in Barber does a phenomenal job of getting dignitaries from the state of Alabama as the, you know, to to come out as the honorary starter. They had Joe Namath one year. They had Bart Starr. They had Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, the only athlete I've ever been around where I was starstruck. I mean, I looked at him and I'm like, oh my God. He was like a mythical figure to me. And I was like starstruck by it. But those sports... And you see it from other things as well. How often do the Indianapolis Indians, it's like, come out to the Indianapolis Indians games, you know, Ozzie Smith will be there signing autographs, or, you know, Cub legend Ryan Sandberg will be at the game signing autographs. Leagues and teams do that because they want to try to get, they want to try to use somebody who has audience, poll, or significance to influence an audience that doesn't normally ingest their product. But the NFL doesn't really need that, nor does it ever seek it out. Even, for example, when the Super Bowl halftime show is a legendary performer, Paul McCartney, Prince, Michael Jackson did it once. You know, the biggest of names can do it. And yet, the NFL is not turning the Super Bowl into like coverage of, sure, that they, they have those people there, but those people don't become orchestrated into the broadcast. Last year, and I'm going strictly off of the law of averages, I'm going to guesstimate. Of the top 20 Nielsen-rated television programs in the United States in 2022, I would wager that 18 of the 20 were related to the National Football League. No arguments here. Shane Sykin says that they are designating Jonathan Taylor to return from PUP, and he will practice Wednesday. And it begins. There we go. Question is, what does Jonathan Taylor say, right? Takes two to tango. What does Mac, uh, Kawa have to say? I know. Well, we're trying to get a hold of him, right? That's uh, true. That's the agent of Jonathan Taylor. So... It is rare that the National Football League, they would not need... The the NFL is the 800-pound gorilla in the American culture. And yet Taylor Swift, say what you want about the fatigue of Taylor Swift. I have never before seen, 
Not only was the NFL and NBC smart enough to realize that Taylor Swift was bringing new eyeballs to the NFL. New eyeballs to the NFL. The NFL, the 800-pound gorilla that has 18 of the 20 largest television audiences in America, saw someone that they admitted was a bigger draw towards a new audience than they could than they could get. Ryan Reynolds? Right. Hugh Jackman. So Blake Taylor Lively? Swift, they actually, NBC <laughs> tailored, pardon the pun, well done. they're open around Taylor Swift. They spoke the language of the Swifties, not to the fi- football fans. There was a whole feature intro video based on Taylor Swift and like the reaction with Travis Kelsey Correct. and her dating side by side with the Jets and their shortcomings. She they they took in, an entire intro of the broadcast she, for that. She was in the first half highlight montage. They of did. course. Of course. I've never seen it before with the NFL where they saw somebody and said, I mean, there have been times where presidents have gone to NFL games, you know, other sports stars, whatever it might be. That is the first time that I can recall the NFL saying, this person is bigger than we are. We are we are subservient to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is big enough, and I've gone into my whole thing of being fascinated by the enigma of Taylor Swift, and I mean that in a good, not a bad way. But she is literally jump-starting civic economies with her concerts. And she is so big and she is such herself an economy generator that the National Football League wanted to jump on and ride those coattails. It's unbelievable. I mean, kudos and credit to her. And the other thing is, and I mean this is is no I mean this is the utmost respect to her and the utmost kudos to her. I think she's a pretty woman. But she's not like prime Jessica Simpson, prime. Carrie Underwood, where guys that don't even like her music would watch because they're like, she is so hot. I think most people watch her and they go, she's a pretty woman, but they're not, but she doesn't ha- she doesn't ooze overall sex appeal. Her sex appeal is in the fact that she comes off with this kind of next girl next door innocent vulnerability, which appeals to women and fascinates and and, and intrigues men of like, why is this this huge superstar? But either way, and I say that as a, as a credit to her because she is obviously immensely talented, but I have never seen somebody that keeps the NFL at like in their palm of her power. I was, I, I was fascinated by it. And Eddie, you, you, you had mentioned that you got kind of Taylor Swift fatigue, but the reality is people that are tuning in to watch that game are going to watch the game. They're going to stay with the broadcast regardless, but the... 20 million plus Taylor Swift fans that have never watched an NFL game hard as that is to believe are watching it to see her and they're going to continue to watch so long as they're showing her which is why they do so much yeah it was weird to see the number of people in my mentions about it and like there were I was shocked I had as many fans that were in the same boat as me where they were like Oh, I'm tired of it. Like, and I'm a. There were some people in there like I'm a Swifty, and this is getting a little out of hand. Like, it's getting too much. Well, but here's the thing: for people that are, and I would wager to guess we don't have the. We need to figure that out with the company head of uh, surveying and head of uh, 
different just public relations focus groups. But I think people that are not football fans that are Taylor Swift fans or Swifties, as they're referred to, that watch that game were thrilled at the amount of pan over. That's what I mean. Of course. And they're going to they're going to continue. And then they're rooting for Kansas City because they want to see Taylor Swift's react. Four hundred percent. If it makes her her happy, it makes me happy. That's you know what I mean. So people are watching it. Yes. So I get it. I totally get it. Um, By the way, Shane Steichen also says yeah, go ahead, do it. Dallas yep. Flowers ruptured his Achilles. He's out for the rest of the year. Or well, yeah. he put it as an Achilles injury and he's done for the year. So we don't know that it's a rupture, but we can presume. Presume, yeah. But the Jonathan Taylor one, so that's the big story right now. Jonathan Taylor back will practice tomorrow. Now, question becomes, does from his agent standpoint, what you know, what is Jonathan Taylor's thought process? And how rigorous a practice is it? If he's activated off the pup, he doesn't really have... I mean, he does, but it's a nuclear option. But he doesn't have a choice but to participate and be there. Like, unless he wants to potentially... get fined. Right, he can get fined. And then this is the gray area where, Eddie, maybe you have a better understanding of it than I do, of service time. I'm pretty sure he would then enter the territory of not fulfilling enough games for the contract don't, year to count. Don't have to play. See, that's the trick. He doesn't have to time. play. You don't have to play a single game. You have to be active on the roster for six weeks, I think. Is well, so, okay, is. so that, that part's – so I suppose he could do that then. But this doesn't end with the Colts letting him walk. It ends with them either trading him Correct. or tagging him. Like a lot of people Correct. in the YouTube chat, and shout out to the, to the break room of the company, a lot of people are hoping like, oh, they bet they extend him this offseason. Really? Like I, I, that's not the way I see this ending. I see it ending with either them tagging him and seeing where things go or moving on from him at some point. But it doesn't end with him walking out the door for nothing. If I'm Jonathan Taylor, Chap had said it earlier, Jake, you and I have said it as well as Eddie has. Go out there, remind the world the player that you are, remind the Colts the player that you are, and see what happens. Here's the thing. To get people not up to speed, but just to kind of refresh where we are. Jonathan Taylor has not spoken. He's not spoken to the media. He's not, I mean, and that's his right. I'm not downing him for that. But that means that we who cover the team and fans who are getting information from those who cover the team are at the mercy of or the interpretation of what's out there. And the last that we heard anything from Jonathan Taylor was essentially second hand and that was through recount of Jim Irsay telling people about their conversation on the bus at training camp and then privately Jim Irsay telling a few people that covered the team that the conversation did not go well and that there was not indication from Jonathan Taylor that he was interested in staying with the Colts so until we hear otherwise from Jonathan Taylor we have to operate under the assumption that that is still his mindset because there is no precedent to say otherwise. Steichen also says there's a chance Taylor could play this weekend. He wants to see how he looks in practice. I mean, I, am I the only one in the room operating underneath the assumption, and not just because I'm buying into the little 10-second videos that Jonathan Taylor has put out there for social media, but this has not been a... I'll use the example because it's probably the most relatable. This has not been like Shaq at the height of his powers where he... Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal at the height of his powers relaxing during an offseason, letting him get out of shape, and then 
being at a point where you use the whole regular season to fine-tune your body and condition yourself for the playoffs. Shaq famously was out of shape all the time reporting to camp. By all accounts, at least from Jonathan Taylor, he has been doing his own conditioning, doing his own training to get himself back up to speed. I'm not saying that means he's going to be instant Jonathan Taylor 2021, but it wouldn't surprise me if he played this week. I would be surprised. I would be surprised. I'll tell you why, Jimmy. I because of the saying. playbook or because of him not being fit? Okay. Jonathan Taylor shows up for camp. Sure. Jonathan Taylor is coming off of an ankle injury that was supposed to be like a three- to six-week injury. He shows up at camp, and he says, my ankle's bothering me. Now, that Chris Ballard said... I never question a player. I never put a player out there that says he doesn't feel right. That should have been enough. That should have been sufficient. But Taylor then says during his physical, actually, my back is bothering me too. Your back's bothering you? Yeah, my back's bothering me. Well, when did this happen? During work, I was working out in Arizona, and I I tweaked my back, and it's just never felt right since. Okay. So then, Taylor suddenly makes it clear that he's not happy with the Colts and doesn't want to play here. Should also be noted in the interim of that, I know it's a minor detail, but he also pushed back, if I'm not mistaken, on the part about the back. Well, so follow me here. Sure. Okay. So then he makes it known that he doesn't want to play here. So the Colts say, oh, okay. They said, well, that's interesting, Jonathan, because you had mentioned that you hurt your back. That's right, I hurt my back. And you mentioned that you hurt your back working out in Arizona. That's right. Okay. Well, by NFL League rules of the Players Association, which you're a part of and you agreed to, if you suffered an injury that was away from the team facility and away from team activities, that's called a non-football injury. And as a result of that, we can put you on the non-football injury list for that, which means you wouldn't get paid. Oh, my back feels pretty good, (laughs) but my ankle hurts. Yeah. That's how that went down. Sure. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. On the eve of the MLB postseason, it's Monday Night Football once again dominating the headlines. Giants, Seahawks, Manning cast is back. We'll take the Seahawks to win the money line over the G-Men. Also going to take over 65 and a half. Total rushing yards for Kenneth Walker the third, and take him as well as an anytime touchdown scorer. Those are the bets. On October second, Reed Reed Porter, I think is his name in the YouTube chat, could have put an over under on this. He sent the thing. How many times has Jake talked about himself today? Have I have I talked about myself a lot? I mean, it's my favorite subject. I love me some me, but I don't think I have. Right? We talked about grad dance. We did talk about that. Your weekend, your birthday party. That's not about me though. That's about well, Michelle's you said, birthday party. Well, you said you. As in me, I went to a friend's birthday party. Allison Villa Elementary made a brief appearance, but it was a larger conversation about braces and the Correct. weird years that are involved in middle awkward school. Awkward years, yep. yep. Um, we, we talked about the Colts' defense. We talked about Shaquille Leonard. We talked about Jonathan Taylor returning to practice. Um, people got upset because I talked about Taylor Swift. I, I get it, but like it's, I'm telling you, it ain't going away. You know what I mean? Yeah, you better better buckle up if you're. You don't have to like it. It ain't going away. Chiefs play again in prime time in eleven days, ten days now. Thursday night football. So against who? Chicago. Uh, sorry, Denver. That matchup of Denver Boy. and Chicago still in my head. The Chiefs and 
Chiefs Denver. and Donkeys. Yep, Thursday Night Football. Can that get flexed? Is that a flexible <laughs> I game? I don't think you could flex Thursday There's night There's not a thing about Denver that's flexing yeah, you anything can flex, this year. You can flex Thursday night games. Yeah. Well, I th- this year is that the change in the CBA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. But not if Taylor Swift's going to be there, I don't It's got to be like a four-week notice, though. Well, have we're you been outside to, of that, so. Jimmy, have you been to Denver? No. Have you been to a game at Denver? Never oh, been to Mile So you've never been no, to no. Okay. Yep. Eddie, did you go by the stadium when you were there? I did. We drove by it on our way back uh, to uh, my girlfriend's parents' or dad's house um, from the Rockies game. You know the Denver airport. Did you go through the Denver – you flew through the Denver airport? Yes. What a horrible airport. And what was wrong with it? It was just clustered. It's just weird. Well, it takes forever to go through security there. And then oh. they have a the, the, the roof in the security area – is like a Teflon type thing, yep. and they one time it collapsed because of too much snow. But you know that it's. We actually went through know, security relatively quickly because our flight was at like seven in the morning on Sunday, so everyone was already there. Well, you know, the airport is the supposedly game. part of the Illuminati, like the whole Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code level. I mean, stuff. didn't think we get an Illuminati reference. Yeah, the, no, the, the Denver right. Airport, like if you read it, it supposedly like has all kinds of secret messages of the underworld, and there's a huge horse. That when they were building it, collapsed and killed a guy, and so people think it's demonic. It's got red eyes. Oh, yeah. There's a whole thing. There's a whole thing on the internet about the Denver airport. John, did you know this? Denver airport? No, I did not. I know that you get weed there, though, can you? <laughs> I don't know about it at the well, airport. Really? You can get medical. Yeah. At the airport? I got I a lot know. of medical issues. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the Chicago airport, they have little boxes where after you go through security and forget that you can't, you have the legal weed in Chicago, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but you go through security and then it's like, oh, I forgot. I can't take my weed with me to wherever yeah. you're flying. They have boxes where you can drop it off. Oh, really? Yeah, they have That's boxes. Nice. That's kind of them, yeah. Cannabis deposit what are, One of these days, this state will be smart enough to try to make some money off of that. Uh, that will be... When think, when I'm, I'll be, be like dead three 21 times 60 over. 2160 or 2180? Yeah. Yeah. What year will that be? The next time the roof's open, we'll have legalized <laughs> weed. That's exactly now, by the way, right. which I do not I do not care about that whatsoever. I'm past it. I'm past well, it. See, that's I said earlier, yeah. I go... The roof this or got to be past weed. it. The roof. <laughs> no, the, well, I mean that too, but yeah, one of these days. Because the, I, got, I got 40 acres that are ready to cultivate right now. I'm ready to harvest. Let's go. Shoot, my parents got some acreage over there too. I grow right up there next to their house. The <laughs> the roof thing, John, because of the amount of tax dollars. Well, I put that in my hog barn there too. They'll be excited about. They're that. waiting for everybody to be past that, right? Which most people are, I think, at this point. Yeah, well, it, I bet it's open Sunday. I bet you. You think so? Yep. The only problem it is is they have as many complaints when it's open. I know, no, I get it because when it's closed. Jake, I don't know if it was one of your burners on Twitter or not, but there was one comment that I saw about the tax dollars being at work. In it was not my burner account. I promise uh, about the roof being closed. Were your tax dollars at work? What's that? Are your tax dollars at work there? It's the only I'm thing. I'm in Donut County, so my tax dollars, I don't even know what my tax dollars are. I don't care. Oh, whatever. The, my tax dollars <laughs> are the only thing about it? me that works. Huh? Actually, my tax dollars are the only thing about me that actually works. <laughs> yeah. John, what you got lined up for the I show? I have no idea. Hey, James, what do you got lined up for the show? We got Holder at five. Oh, Stephen Holder's going to come on here at five. And then plenty of Colts conversation, I can't wait right? to spend 35 minutes on Jonathan Taylor coming back Wednesday. Hey, you I'm saw excited. it. It's happening, baby. It's going to rush for a thousand yards when he gets back here. Just record it because we'll do the same talk (laughs) tomorrow too, right? Talk to him at three though. All right. John's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon.